You're listening to a Mutiny Transmission. You can find more podcasts, videos, books, comics, and records online at mutinyinfocafe.com. Or just stop in the store in Denver and have a coffee sometime. chop this up and post it oh yeah yeah so uh when we had aaron on here we had i think you know we were all sat down and ready to go like we are now and so we had like 20 minutes of episode on the front end that weren't on the live stream and then i want to say we talked actually no that whole episode went i think three and a half hours and i didn't even know we had gone that long until I stepped out for a break, and I'm like, "Oh shit!" You know, Wiggins. <laughs> Wiggins is like, "I got to take off," and I'm like, "What?" I mean, how long have we been going? And Gordo's like, "You've been going three hours." And I'm like, "Oh, okay." That makes a lot of sense. Like, why you were like, "Oh yeah, yeah." I mean, but he's so interesting. I mean, you could talk to that guy for, I don't know, days. We had a great conversation, man. And and he, uh, what I thought, what, what I thought was cool is he was talking about how oftentimes he is solicited as the dude to sit down and have an Aaron Say therapy session Hmm. with. You know what I mean? He's definitely a good listener. I mean, I've only had very limited interaction with him, but every time he's just like very present Mm -hmm. and very just like... Well, that's why I wanted to have him on here. Yeah. You know, and that's why I want to have anybody on here. It's because like, um, you know, I was really thinking of the utility of this the other night. Uh, I played... Uh, I played at High Dive on Friday night with my Oingo, Bo- uh, Oingo Boingo tribute. Awesome. Which was super fun. It was a great show. But, like, we've been trying to get Muscle Beach on here for a while, and they've just been super busy and been having a lot of things going on. And, okay. And I've been trying to have Brian Beer from uh, uh, Bud Bronson on here. Oh, yeah. And I ran into these guys at High Dive uh, for the show and we had, you know, we exchanged hugs. We haven't seen each other in a while. We did this, like, brief catch-up. But the whole interaction with each guy probably lasted less than three minutes. Right. You know what I mean? And that tends to be what you get yeah. being in the scene at all. Because, like, uh, Karen Kuda mentioned on the episode we had her on. Uh, From Nashville Pussy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or the original... No, what, no. She was like she was the third. third she was the third bassist right. of Nashville Pussy. Um, but when he had her on here, she was talking about the rocker B rocked thing. It's like okay. you don't really get to go to a lot of shows Mm-mm. because In the Whale is on tour all the fucking right. time, right? So you don't get to go to a lot of shows. So you either so really the only time you run into people is at shows that you happen to be playing. For example, I went to uh, what is the streets of London? Or I guess it's now it's just called Streets. Yeah, right? Streets. Right. I was there this uh, weekend with to see my friends in Guttermouth, and I hadn't been out to a show in. How was the Guttermouth show at Streets? Uh, awesome. I, yeah, they had two nights in a row. I had Friday and Saturday. I went Saturday. And they're they're just like chaos. I mean, I know they're when I worked at Three Kings, <laughs> um, we we got you know we got a bid or uh, we got offered to book them, and Jeff at Three Kings was like, I won't I won't book Guttermouth here. Really? He's like, 
that I got all that nice brand new equipment up there. You know, we right. just repainted the stage. I don't want him coming in and spitting on people and getting right. fucking spit on. You know, that's part of Mark Atkinson's that, Mark Atkinson's shtick. That is the stick. Is just getting spit. On oh my and god! I have so many good stories. We toured with them for two weeks, and that's the only reason that we were early on tied right. in with them. But we stayed friends. I mean, he's really smart. He's mm-hmm. really clever. He's very witty. Um, I think the one thing that Eric it's and in I, his lyrics. Yeah. I, I mean, kind yeah, yeah. Some of them are like little cheese stick, and I, I've said that to him and like to his face. You know, I was like, "Okay, mommy, you're stupid. You're a little overweight. Now yeah, give me twenty bucks." Yeah, it's like okay, it's childlike <laughs> ish. Yeah, for sure. The thing, the thing that I like about Guttermouth is they're very childish, mm. but in this very like tongue-in-cheek, witty, like, subversively clever way. Right. Like, he has the potential to, like, he demonstrates his acumen in his lyrics often, but he also can go to this place where it's very snotty and sophomoric. Right, for sure. And that's that's always one of the things that I've appreciated about Guttermouth, is them being one of the few punk rock bands, especially in, you know, they kind of straddle the line between the, like, pop punk and like like hardcore punk worlds right. a little bit you know cuz they tend to take a little bit of a more melodic approach and and what I mean we could for sure go for down sure. a rabbit hole with that but they are one of the few bands left that don't take themselves too seriously that have that very politically incorrect you know snotty you right. know angry Goofy, honestly, frat boyish type of Yeah, I mean they uh, come at it like the whole idea is a joke and that Everyone's in on the joke, but they don't care because right. they're buying the shirts and they're buying the, the tickets to go see them. And right. you, you go, from what we've learned, just being around them, is that you go to see Mark literally unravel on stage or you go <laughs> to see the interaction between him and like fans and just like see how he's able to make a non-situation a situation, Right, I think. How, um, like how so? What do you mean? Uh, we're in Wyoming. And he sees all of the taxidermied animals at this kind of cowboy-esque bar. It's called the, the Cowboy Bar. It's literally what yeah, it's yeah. called. Yeah, yeah, I've been to the Cowboy okay, Bar. Okay, so you yeah. know what I'm talking about. Yeah. They have saddles as fucking seats. You know, it's like, right. it's it's the thing. It's a cool place. Right, but he comes in here, he sees this, and he knows, well, these people like to hunt and this, this and that. And he's like, everyone in De- Duck Dynasty was an asshole, and if you like that shit, you're stupid. And then they play a, <laughs> they go into a song. Yeah, that sounds like him. Yeah, that's how he starts the set. And I think that that is kind of beautiful because you're able to take— He's the first troll, or one of the first trolls. He's like a verbal onstage troll, yeah, of even like his before own the, stuff. Before the internet was even a thing, he was on stage trolling people and writing songs trolling people. Right. Yeah. That, that's the thing. It's hey, so maybe good. we should intro the show real quick. Yeah. yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> no, that's cool. This is the perfect time. Dude, this is by no means the longest intro we've ever done. Okay. I think the record for longest intro, and, and I would have to ask Gordo about this, but it's probably about a half hour, and it went all over the place. And oh, went, my God. Yeah. Now, we've done some some extended intros. The, 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 the best thing about this show is how shitty the form is. Perfect. Like, total garbage. It's great. We don't know what we're doing, and that's what makes it fun. <laughs> Welcome to episode number 77 Lucky number 77. There's some sort of numerology thing with yeah. 77. 
Seven supposedly is a holy number. Six would be an unholy number. Thirteen is also unholy. Yeah, I thought they were all unholy. I thought all math was unholy to holy people. Uh, It just depends on how you (laughs) – I mean, three is a powerful number. Seven is supposedly, you know, seven and seven, you know. According to Blind Melon, three is a magic number. I heard that in a song today. I heard a blind. Three is a magic number. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, Blind Melon, man. They had a song (laughs) called Cavity. Mouthful of cavities. (laughs) Your soul's a bowl of jokes. I mean, that was the better stuff than any of the oh, other yeah. shit that Blind Melon put out. I know, I mean, man. I mean, no rain. That's good, but change is much better. It, dude, Everything yeah, off yeah. soup. God damn, I know a lot of shit, I guess. There's, there, there's a, there's a, there, yeah, there's some good songs on that record. Uh, welcome to episode 77 of the motherfucking podcast. This is the official podcast of the international power rock combo, motherfucking ruckus from Denver and Chicago, respectively. Mm-hmm. The rad in Colorado and the rad in ineradicable. Uh, I'm your host, Aaron Howell, and um, we got some. Uh, we got a different crew in here today, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, before I introduce my guest, I want to give a shout out to our guest producer on the board this week. My man Ethan Cotel comes to us from Evergroove Studio. We trusted him with uh, all the new songs on the new Ruckus record, and uh, since Gordo is out of town on tour with Granny Tweed, I thought it'd be fun just to have you come hang out, dude. So I'm really glad you're here. Welcome. It's been a blast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. What do you think of the the Nug Nation? It's a fun little space. Yeah, absolutely. It's very uh, green, as is appropriate. uh, (laughs) Yeah, loving it. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, yeah, Ethan Cotel is, uh, is an incredibly gifted engineer and musician. Mm. Bass is your primary instrument, right? Uh, guitar, actually. Guitar is yeah. your primary but instrument? I've, on- I've only ever played bass in bands. Live, that's so that what it is. could make it my primary instrument. I don't know how you can say yeah, that. That's because everyone that plays bass is really... Everyone needs a bassist. Yeah, no or a drummer. A bassist. bassist or a drummer. Yeah. The guitar players are a, a dime, a dime a dozen. dozen. Everybody put, well, unless you've got a guitar player like Tony Lee. Right. You know, yep. he he is he is a diamond in the rough. Yes, and uh, yeah, and it, an exemplar of it, what all guitars should be. If Tony Lee stopped being in the band, the band would stop being a band. Mm-hmm. That that so yes, guitar players are a dime a dozen, but certain guitar players are well, are are invaluable. It's invaluable. Like your, it's like your uh, auto mechanic when you find one that that knows does your right shit. By you you keep him until you both And is honest. Yep, exactly. Yeah, yep. that's right. And it and or, it doesn't hurt if they have long beautiful luxurious locks and uh and yeah, and a cute little belly that I like to grab onto and <laughs> Anyway, welcome Ethan, glad to have you here. And then also uh production assisting for this episode, maybe in Maybe in the foreseeable future, please welcome my buddy Nick Reynolds, aka Uncle John, aka Unky J, to the show. Up? Yeah, How's it going, yeah. Man? Thanks for coming, man. For I appreciate your help. Here. We may uh, this this may work out as a live stream. It may not. Uh, Jared Wiggins from Yolo Rum is uh, I don't know. We talked this morning, but who knows? With the weather being what it is, things could have taken. Taking a horrible turn. I hope he's okay. I just want him to check in and let me know he's alive. Uh, <laughs> but uh, most importantly, our guest this week is uh, man a hell of a talented guy, a hell of a nice guy. Uh, he is fifty percent of the two-piece punk rock powerhouse in the whale. Yeah, he's you. he's a guitar and singer dude. Please welcome Nate Valdez to the show. 
Oh, yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for having me, of man. Of course, man. You notice I didn't stop you when you're like, he's like, awesome, and da, da, da. I'm like, yeah, come yeah, on. Yeah, nah. Keep that coming. Oh, go on. Yeah. Ah, go oh, on. I mean, yeah. come on. No, dude. I'm, uh, Thanks for having me, man. I'm so glad that this worked out. I mean, we booked this months. Oh, ago. dude, you were Jeez, like you were in my early out. you were in my early list of, like wish list of guests because we people have been trying to connect us mm. for many years. We've gone we've gone on tour and met people who are like, oh, you guys are from Denver. Do you know in the way? Right, right. And and it was always same. like, no, we know their name, we know who they are, but we don't we don't run in the same circles. We've never crossed paths. Which is funny. It's like Denver is not a big music scene in my mind, right? Especially but, where the punk rock and metal scene are concerned. No, it's the same damn people. It, they just put on a different jacket. You know, you got the jean jacket for right. the punk shows, and then they're gonna go and you know put some studded something on or. Just a closet, a closet full of and it's, <laughs> costumes. It, it's the same people. But I don't understand why Denver, being as small of a scene as it has been, or I think it is. Maybe I'm wrong. I guess I'm out of it. No, I, don't I mean, know. I mean, it's it's become a larger market, but I think the music business, it, I mean, we still have a lot of bands that are moving here. We have a ton of mm. bands that are moving here, but I feel like the the business end of it here is a old boys and old girls club. You know, like the people who do all the booking here and the people who are running the clubs and like the AEGs, the Live Nation, the Soda Jerks. Well, or and the crew people, oh. just the individuals that make up those different companies, you know, like, you know, Ricky Aston, yeah. you know, moving her way up from Soda Jerk up to Live Nation and Scott Campbell. And then you have, you know, a lot of the, 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 the crew people, Tim Flanagan and Steve Goldberg and, and, uh, you know, the, the, my brother-in-law, yeah. Richie Tice, you know, who's been doing lights at every club in town forever, you know, Jeez. like the, the music scene, the business side of it seems to be very local and very, and very like small town, right. but we become a big market for sure because so many people are coming here and so many people are moving here and, and we have such like a, a thriving arts and music scene. Right. So yes, it is small. And it is weird that we never played together. It's weird also. Yeah. I mean, th- thinking a little bit about what you just said is, I mean, I mean, we were out and moved here. Where to, were you guys from? We were from Greeley, Colorado. Okay. So we were never really um, – we got a lot of shade when we first came to Denver because we were like – Get out oh, of here. Really? No, really. Yeah. we. Uh, <laughs> you wouldn't believe it how you many – You got a lot of shade? A lot of people hated us. Why? Uh, because we came to uh, Denver taking the kind of method of how we did things in Greeley, which was kind of aggressive. Like we would play every single show. We'd outstay our welcome. We played house shows, and then we'd do a same, another show that exact same Outstay night. or welcome how? What do you uh, mean? Just we Playing were too long or? Kind of. Not really that. We were always kind of good at that, but just kind of showing up. And like everyone's like, man, who are these guys from Greeley? They're everywhere. Do you mean just like playing too many shows? Yeah, basically. So like right. bumming people out, like like no no respect for the proximity clause. Well, early on we didn't have that. You know the radius clause that didn't yeah, exist. Yeah, yeah, for that's us. What I mean, and then eventually clause. we got to a point where we were doing pretty well, and then we totally backed off. But we there was a lot of bands that were like, um, I guess, kind of good old boys and stuff that were in the scene. 
that gave us a nod and the other group that didn't, you know, and it was kind of like we had right. this kind of like water and oil. We had this group that really loved us and this group that really did not like us. In fact, I That's almost got into a bunch of fights when I'd go to the high dive. I'd get cornered what? in bathrooms. I uh, What? Yeah, it's real stuff, Corner, Cornered in bathrooms? Yeah, for what? Pe- people just getting mad at me. It's just like, you're not allowed or not. It's just not... At like the, you, you hadn't. You I hadn't couldn't go earned. to this show, or I couldn't do these things. It's like you're Nate from whatever band, and it was weird. It was early on. That's why I don't go to shows Hold anymore. Hold on, you. you I, I don't understand why you couldn't go to shows. I don't know either. I don't know either. You just had like, it, was it like a competition thing, or was it mm. like you had maybe because gotten we were into the... uh, confrontations with people, <laughs> or. Or was it just because you guys came in so hard and like maybe and didn't in the eyes of of the locals didn't didn't pay your dues? It was like you were surfing the wrong wave or I, something. That's like that's that. kind of how I feel like it it w- it was is that maybe our dues weren't paid even though we had been playing. So in people Greeley. saw you as a Greeley band. Yeah, a Greeley yeah. band that's kind of in the wrong area. I guess I don't know. I don't, I'm not exactly sure because I feel to this point. Everything's fine. There's no problems. Everybody right. that did have issues with, uh, I'm kind of a. I, I would. I would be. I would say that the first person to say that I'm early on when when we came to town, I was not the best at understanding how to be considerate with others. And I've okay. become. Were you just like a little abrasive? Do you think? I, I feel like I have a personality that's just kind of very forward. Right. Is, is what it was, and then maybe. Some people were like, hey, what are you doing? You know, it's like, oh, I'm going to play this show. It's like, no. <laughs> wait, oh, wait, wait. Oh, so you you guys would like show up and like try and get on to shows? Is no, that a thing no, that you No, no, no. We were, we're going to play the show. Is Oh, when you would even, contact the booker? Right, just be right. like, hey, we're going to play this show? Yeah, I'm coming out. Yeah, we're playing the show. <laughs> and it, and it, w- did it work? It worked. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It just, hey, I mean, you can't argue with the result. Like, really? That was how you approached? Like, kind of. Give me an example uh, of a specific show that you did that on. God. That's hard because it's like even now I, uh, we had fired our booking agent a couple years ago, and we just recently got a new one. But in that time, I'm like, we're coming to Den- uh, whatever city, Oklahoma, for example. We're playing this show. We're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna make a show. We're doing it this day. They're like we got a hold. I'm like, we'll cancel it. We're we're gonna play the show. <laughs> that's that's kind of like how my email would go. It was just really so. What would you aggressive? Say? Yeah, just just forward assertive assertive. I guess I, <laughs> presumptuous. I'm like, I don't know what you have going on that day, but we're gonna be here. And now it's better because I've learned how to be, um, you know. Speak properly to people. Yeah, to, to not, like to like write the proper form yeah, emails. Not and just like, be such an autistic kid and like, um, <laughs> man, this really? Is what I'm doing really just like you would just and and how often did it work out in your favor compared to like contrary to? Well, your I got emails back. Favor. I mean, most of the time, like people are like actually we like what you're doing and we like your sound and everything, so we can't do it this time, but. I'm going to hit you up next time. And actually, they would hit me up. Instead of me having to hunt down people, we'd Instead actually... of going to people like, hi, we're going to be in town this day. That's kind of how I am I now. Just that's kind of really how I am hoping. now. Yeah, we're, hey, uh, do you have any of these days available? It's like, that's, right. I don't know, I've totally changed my demeanor. But early on, I understand that we were greedy guys, and I think we kind of just ruffled some feathers the wrong way. Just rub people the wrong way. Yeah, and I get, I get why. Because when, when you guys came <laughs> on my radar... 
it seemed to come on very strong and very quickly. Like I became aware of you guys and became aware that you guys were doing a lot of stuff. And there were shows that I know I couldn't name specific shows, but I know there were shows that you and I were both bidding on competitively. Mm. You know what I mean? Like trying to get our bands onto shows at the same time. And there'd be times where like, you beat us out for a show or we beat you out for a show. So I was aware that you guys were out there. I was aware that you were doing stuff, but right. I had not seen you. It's competitive. The market was very competitive. Right. And taking an email like that instead of saying, hey, can we get on this show? I'm like, we're going to be on this show and we're going to pull this many people. Right. That looks a little different. Like speaking of Ricky, which you, uh, we're actually doing a show uh, Halloween with, and that she's producing. Really? And we've stayed friends because of just how straightforward we were. Right. I mean, that's, you know, just how it was. Right. But I get it. Yeah, it was like there was a lot of bands that had been in Denver, I think, for a long time or not. not and felt that they had earned the opportunities right. that you guys were getting. But we were just so aggressive and just kind of like, I don't know, like a slash and burn, just kind of just I mean, it's hard to ignore hard. that. It's hard to ignore that type of uh, conversation when right. somebody comes at you like that. Now – from a from a booking perspective, I would probably be like, "Oh, you think so?" Yeah, but, you know, well, but we got a lot of that, but it was also um, it stood out. Well, I guess what happened is that we were so tenacious, we were playing so many shows. It's like there's people showing up, and it was kind of like right. We came to be like a kind of a baby force of some sort. The, like, you guys go hard in the paint, man. Well, I For guess real. so. Um, thank you, thank you. No, um, I mean, you was, do. I mean, you guys tour your asses off. Now we do. I mean, that's the reason we had to leave Denver. We didn't want You're to, playing so much. You're playing Denver. here so much. And I'm like, okay, well, now our next nugget is we're going to do the East Coast. And kind of like the small circle idea, like get your circle bigger and bigger and bigger. Then right. it was like all U.S. and all Canada. And now we do 80 to 150 shows a year. Yeah, man. Because I are 130. 80, 80 to 130 shows a yeah. year. That's nothing to sniff at, man. That's a that's a lot of fucking gigs. Thank you. I mean, you yeah. guys do the same too. I you mean, know, not, like, I mean, not so much anymore. We we really can do a maximum of 20 shows a year. Really, I mean, and really? so we've had to focus more on um, on quality on quality over quantity. Right. You know, it basically. How many times of the year will you play Denver? Play Two, De- oh once. man, yeah, we'll only play Denver a few times. It really depends. We we mostly position ourselves to do uh, main support gigs. Cool, you know, this just is be- smart because then you get yeah, uh, you're poaching people that wouldn't normally see right. you. And the fact of the matter is, we're a local band. So when we do something local, the people are used to seeing us. They're used to seeing our name. Mm. They, you know. Take it for granted in the true sense of the word, not in like the connotation of where it's like a, it's like a deliberate malicious act. But people just take it literally for for granted that we will be around. So there's no there's less motivation to go to the show. Right. You know what I mean? People kind of do it more casually, unless it's something that's like a big event, right? Re- where we're record playing, release right. or something like that. A, a release, or or if we're doing main support for you know people want to people want to go see us play on stage at the Fillmore with with Steel Panther. Hell but yeah! They, but they oh my god, that is right. You guys did play with Steel it was Panther twice. It was fun. It's funny. Uh, speaking of shows competing, I remember I had my manager write to or reach out to them. And they're like, 
not what they're looking for. I'm like, oh man, who who's gonna play with fucking Steel Panther at the fucking Fillmore? <laughs> yeah, goddamn, MF Ruckus is playing on that stage, and it's not the first time you have done it. Twice, we, we we did it twice, yeah. And I think every time we've submitted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they not, finally, it's not really our best fit, but it's just something, you know. Well, I, I, like, I think, um, yeah, I don't know. It was the one time that like people having maybe uh, slightly off perceptions of what kind of band we are hmm. served us. You know, we we kind of got lumped into the uh, the butt rocker category a little bit. Really? <laughs> yeah. Really? You know, just yeah. as like. Like bo- more being like classic rock oriented, or like you know kind of early metal oriented. So we got we got lumped because we did maybe a lot that's of shows. good. Like you said, it's I mean, good. It's good. It's I mean it's good and it worked out in our favor. And we got it two years in a row. And after the second year, I wrote Ricky and I was like, we understand. We have been given this opportunity twice. You know we we want every band to have this opportunity. We want it to be a great thing for anyone who wants to do it. That being said, if you would have us again, we would do it. Right. And on the th- on the third year, she was like, they're going to go a different direction this year. And wow. they started kind of passing that opportunity around to some different people. But uh, in terms of, of fan retention, we pulled we pulled so many people from those two shows. Really? There's there's people who saw us at those two shows that still come to see us to this day. That's awesome. Now, That's so at, awesome. At, at the same time, when we do something on our own locally – we don't draw particularly well, so you re- don't really. No, not really, not really. Like if if we do Lost Lake or something like that, I want to say last Lost Lake show we did, we pulled in like seventy five sales, something like that. We just oh, wow. we just really don't do a lot, unless uh, you know maybe maybe if we did something closer to Broadway, if we did High Dive or Three Kings or something like oh, that, cool. it would work. You know maybe, but for the most part, um, we tend to do our best. Uh, Going other places, you know, we're we're focusing on whatever our label gets us to do over in Europe. That's cool. And we save kind of our... What's the label? It's called Rodeo Star. Cool. Um, it's interesting because in Europe, the smaller labels uh, run more like businesses. Right. You know, there's just more... You guys have been over there. There's right. just far more infrastructure in the business. So even at the, even the... Lower ends of the business are connected to higher conglomerates higher up. For sure. You know, like um, there's – what is it? Steamhammer is part of SPV. Is that what it's called? I I don't want to say HPV, but, you know, (laughs) it's like uh, there's that – there's like the distributor uh, SPV in in Germany and then there's also like Soul Food or something like that. And then there's a bunch of like smaller labels that are kind of underneath those conglomerates. Right. And so we're part of like one of those those smaller labels. But How are the shows out there for you? They're great because we get on um, – and I think we talked about this a little bit when we ended up playing together uh, at the Mesa. But what's been great for us is we have it worked out with our label where they bring us out and we share the – cost of the bus and the back line Mm. and go out and support bigger bands on their label so we go out with like we've gone we've gone and done with the the carburetors from norway and and nine millimeter from germany and we did um we did nitro gods from germany and we just go out with them and share the bus with them and then open up for them every night right so you know you're getting to play for 350 500 people every night that's great 
And because we're all married, you know, two of us have kids. No shenanigans. Yeah. Well, well, it limits the ability for us to get out of town. So really, the only time mm. we go into t- uh, out of town is if it's something overseas where it's worth the the, the trip. It, it's worth the the expense and the um, opportunity cost. Right. Or when we uh, go to uh, you know somebody invites us to do a weekend somewhere out of town, like like we go up to the Pacific Northwest sometimes, we go to Chicago sometimes, and we go down to Oklahoma City. Right. But other than that, we really – like locally, it's only if we get the opportunity to open for someone. Right. And you guys there, – there, there's all these like dis- different approaches to try and like – like achieve your goals in the business and, and our approach is one of them. And then there's the approach that you guys do and bands like against the grain do and valiant Thor did oh, for many against years. The grain. I love, I know those guys. I just, uh, hit up Rob a few, we, uh, we did toured with them in Guttermouth. They were, Oh, the, did you, they, they, you guys were on tour together. They were the opening band against, imagine against the grain, mm-hmm. you know, oh, yeah. awesome Detroit speed mm-hmm. metal, I would say. Rock. No, it's more rock. They're like motorheady, Zeke. Yeah, type of stuff. they're in yeah. that vein for sure. I mean, they're on tour with Guar right now. Right. Like this, like speaking. Um, yeah, Guar and Toxic Holocaust, right? Right. And they have one of the guys in Guar filling in for Kyle. I believe he just had a baby. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's weird that one we know from... so many people. I know. It's all the, like, it's all the, it's a very small village. It is very, and the, the musicians that are out. Hustling or whatever are pretty right. pretty limp. So they opened, and then it was us direct support with Guttermouth, and that's how we got got in contact with those guys. But I love those guys. Oh, they're man. a great Jeez, band. Man. There's, there's so much, so much Ampeg V four. Oh yeah, slamming. Just dude, they're and and, and and because of how much they tour, it just makes them incredibly tight. And you guys are kind of doing the same approach in a touring respect is you guys you like you said you do up to like 130 dates a year right you're on like it is rare that you are able to sit down and have this conversation because for the most part you are on tour this is the first time in years where we didn't do the west coast at all yeah we just like i'm fine now (laughs) now we talked a little bit about our how we didn't really know each other and we had this you know our kind of respective uh, perceptions of each mm-hmm. other. You know, it's like we were aware that the other band existed. Right. And we would go to these towns and they'd be like, oh, you guys are from Denver. Right. Do you uh, do you play within the whale? And I, you know, we would be like, no, we've, you know, we're aware that they exist, but we've never played with them. Right. And so for you, It was kind of weird that that we never played together. Never played together. It was once. like, what, Grand Junction was the first? That was the first time. But then when you showed up, so like in my mind, I had this perception of you guys is just being like, why are these guys, you know, you know, what happened that led these guys to just blow up? Because I had this idea in my head that you guys just like shot straight up to this certain level and you're doing stuff with gutter mouth and you're doing stuff with, uh, Oh God, who else did you did stuff with the descendants right. for, for a while, like uh, who who else were some of those bigger tours that you that you were doing over the last? Oh, uh, we've we've toured with the Darkness. We've toured with Jane's Addiction. We've toured, played some shows with the Offspring. We've done Pennywise. We've done, um, geez, I don't know off the top of my head. It's, with it's, the Offspring, was uh, was Jonah Nimoy in the band when you toured with the Offspring? 
Is he the drummer? Jonah Nimoy would have been the guitar player. He's actually Leonard Nimoy's grandson. No, I, well, there was another guitar player that was kind of behind Noodles, and I don't Is know. He's a younger guy? He's. Yes, he was younger. Um, might I have been, I don't know his, Nimoy. Yeah, I don't know his name. He he played in this band, um, Legal Tender from from L.A. that that one of my metal bands played with. Really, and uh, and ended up finding out not didn't find out until after Lenoy, Leonard Nimoy died. That's his son. That, that it's his grandson. Oh, grandson. Yeah, and he's wow. like he's like I love you, Pop Pop. I'll miss you, and blah blah blah. And like all these pictures of him as a little kid with. Mr. Spock, it was and, weird. Anyway, yeah, weird. So you went, you went out, you went out with the offspring. I didn't know that. No, it was just, it was like, like if, just one show. Oh, just like one show. But the okay. the tours we've done, uh, Agent Orange was probably the longest. We 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 toured for two years with them. Uh, Whoa! It was like on and off, like every time they'd come to Colorado, or every we do a whole run with them, like seven or eight shows. I played bass for them for a week when Perry couldn't do. Really. Yeah, it's just weird. We like we wouldn't honestly be a band if it wasn't for the kindness of Agent Orange. We blew up our uh, our Chevy Express van in Rio, Nevada, like cylinder number eight, just shot through the roof, just done. Uh, we had to replace the engine, and because we're a two piece, we were able to fit in their vehicle. But it was their kindness, like yeah, we want we want you to come, yeah, for us, come with us. And so during that time, we basically just mirrored them, stayed at the same hotels they. Uh, did how many years was this into your career? Um, because how long has in the whale been going? 2011 is when we say we really started. Even though we were around for two years before that, we used to clear rooms. It was it was crazy. We would because <laughs> early on we didn't really have lyrics or anything. We just start playing music, and I'd have like a weird guitar samples or like bird noises or like people playing basketball noises. And it was like, <laughs> it was really like abstract kind of weirdy noise. Right. Do you know the band No Age? No. They're, they're an LA band. It's a two-piece band, but I did a, a interview with Randy Randall and they did a very first thing we did with Red Bull. Like for some reason we got lumped in with Red Bull records for two songs. Anyway, they did the same thing. It was kind of just weird avant-garde, just weird stuff. That was what you guys were doing early on? Yeah, you, you wouldn't be able to find that music, but it was like— I would love to hear it. It's in, We had instrumental songs that is like— Do you have any links for it? No, it doesn't exist. On, it's only, Nothing exists? It's you just don't hard have, drives and stuff like that. Just hard drives. Mm-hmm. Damn. Yeah, it's weird. It's, I really, Dude, could you like send me a file that I'll, we could tack onto the end of the episode? I'll see Please. I, I, re- so, I really want to hear some uh, of your weird stuff. It's weird. It's like we had a song called Chewbacca that had no words. It's just like organs and like... <laughs> it's just weird. I don't know. We didn't know what we were doing. So we'd clear rooms and nobody gave a shit about us. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, we're like, oh, everyone, this is during, I guess, 2011, Mumford & Sons was huge. Right. Everyone's like, I'm buying an acoustic guitar, and I'm going to get sad. And we're like, fuck that. We're going the opposite. We're going to get loud. Right. And it just, it, we just fit. It just clicked with people. Because it was a, like a, a void. Everyone was trying to catch that wave. And we're right. like, we're going to catch the next one if there is one. Right. Hopefully. I guess we'll roll the dice and see what the fuck happens. What would what would you say cuz man that 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 <sighs> before before we met each other, I had this idea in my head that you guys were doing nothing but banger tours, nothing but banger gigs. It's a perception. It was, just, it's, it was just one thing after another and then we met mm-hmm. and we were talking about 
touring and we were talking about shows and mm -hmm. we were talking about opportunities and you were talking about some of the shit that you guys were dealing with at that time. Some oh, yeah. of the things that you were struggling with and you were talking about issues that you had touring Europe and just like mm. – it was I was a nightmare. I remember at that time you were feeling a lot like you were getting your ass kicked. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, we became very good early on at learning how to make a perception of a story, so to speak. Right. Like with social media and whatever, whatever. Um, I mean, Yeah, your social media marketing approach is awesome. It, well, you do a great job. It, it was, thank you. It was just, just the same kind of mentality where we're like, we're coming in, we're doing this, and this is what we're doing, and you're going to like it. Right, right, right. It was right. kind of like arrogant, I guess, is a good way. And hyper, well, hyperbolic, but uh, in an entertaining way. I mean, we're not like the, that kind of guys. It was in a way, it was a good way for us to to get that out. You know, we're also Eric is very quiet, right? And I'm very quiet. Like I used to work at a mortuary and stuff, and I like have a master's in counseling, and I don't. You have a master's in counseling? Yeah, I, I was stupid. I just kept going to school and I couldn't stop. And I just eventually like, oh, shoot, I want to keep – I want to play music now. That's really – I mean, do you take yeah. clients? Do you have a practice? No, I don't do any of it. I don't I don't even use it. You have a master's in it that you just don't – Yeah, educational psychology. I don't – I put out papers and stuff and – What? Yeah. That's – Dude, it's, tell me more about that. What led to you? Uh, what led you just went to college and then stopped going? Yeah, I, I went to college and started working with psychology and I got really – um, interested with this one professor who worked with fetal alcohol research. So we started working together and we started going to conferences and doing like all this research. And it just... What brought you to be interested in fetal alcohol research? I don't know. It's just really kind of an interesting concept of how certain people can drink and not be affected and have no tyrannogen effect on their offspring. Right. And then some people drink once and everything's screwed up and they like can't work and then during that time I was working at a wait drink drink once like drink you, once during pregnancy or oh, something like that really so, yeah, yeah. that's i see i had always thought that it was it was something that came as the result of of alcoholism like long term long term exposure this is like there, people who had like one drink during right, a pregnancy and then there's like some malformation in their child or something and someone that's drank and <sighs> used drugs the whole time and then the kid comes out comes out fine, fine. uh well, just really fine yeah, air quotes yeah, you know they're they're worse off because of their nature but they don't that. experience what we call fetal alcohol syndrome right 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 so I was just really interested in that, and I started working with him. And during that time, I was working at a what they call a juvenile assessment center. I'd work from like 4 p.m. to like 5 in the morning. And basically, police officers would find kids that were either, you know, vandalizing things or whatever they were doing or drunk or whatever. And I would kind of sit there and talk with them and figure out what's going on and working on the counseling aspect. Oh, so, so you're the guy I would go see. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I saw I saw a lot of counselors when I was in high school. Yeah. I I was I was a little firebug and I, you? and and I had <laughs> a uh, yeah, I had some I had some uh, disciplinary problems for sure. I it was a little on the hyperactive side as I'm sure you can imagine. Right. Yeah. Right. So you eventually would probably if you were in trouble or caught I would, I would, I would probably have spoke to you. So you worked in the in the school system for a while. Not the school. It was actually a city um, designated. So I'd work for the police department. 
itself. But, oh, so but, like kind of like like a diversion program right. or something like that, where they would come. But in. it was a uh, a section that they actually had um, set money aside in Greeley for mental health. So this is the city of, city of Greeley right. mental health and human services or whatever, and you right. like. They would send these kids to me. It was like right beside the police department. So they would bring them there. And I think that the main thing is, is that law enforcement doesn't want to be, quote unquote, babysitting children right. while they could be doing other things like right. DUIs and other things that late at night. So they would go and have someone actually trying to go and maybe figure out why the root of what's going on in this child's life. So I love helping and I love doing these things. And In the Whale was a good outlet for me being – Loud and aggressive, and in a way, like get old, your yayas out. I guess so. You yeah. Know? Um, but we took that mentality. How old are you? I'm 33. So you're 33. Mm-hmm. So in the whale has been going since you were 23. Correct. So you were out of college and had your masters by then. Yeah. I. Uh, I, I. What year? How old were you when you got your masters? Jeez. I. I went to. I got early out of high school. And left my small town and then went to Greeley. Where's your small town? Los Animas, Colorado. I think I know where Los Animas is. Isn't that out in the San Luis Valley? It's the southeast. So it's out in the Arkansas Valley. It's on the east toward Kansas. So um, I went to a school called McClave in McClave, Colorado. And I graduated with 23 kids, and we had four-day week because it was all farm kids. So they'd work an extra day. Are you a farm kid? Yeah, I grew up on a farm. No way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why I always feel like whenever we're playing a cool show, I'm like, I, like playing Lollapalooza, I'm like, why? I look at Eric, I'm like, I shouldn't be here. He's like, it's fine, you're fine. I'm like, no, I grab. Oh, like, you get that imposter syndrome. Yeah, I, we've talked. We've talked about that a lot on this show, man. It's hard. And I think it's a common thing, and I think, and and you probably know this as a counselor. Mm. You know, just the universality of if that's even a word, I don't know. The the the, the universal nature of artists, entertainers, I would say, I would say anyone in general who, who pursues a craft, mm-hmm. um, you, you, I think it's, it's universal that, that imposter syndrome, that feeling of like, not like being aware of your own areas of incompetence. And so it's kind of like a hyper awareness of like right. where, what, what reality is and why are you here? When those two meet, it's like they, they don't jive in any way, shape, or form. Well, and it's a good thing. It's an adaptive measure because basically you're able to create an avatar in your brain mm-hmm. of yourself and imagine that person functioning at a high level as the people that maybe you look up to or you admire or, or your, your models of success and competence, right? Right. So you imagine that, and then when and that is always going to recede in direct proportion to the rate at which it's approached. So the better you get, the better your avatar gets, and your avatar is way better than you are. Right. So when you get tapped to do something, all you can think about is how you are not at the same level as the avatar, mm-hmm. but the people who are asking you to to do something. They're asking you to function at the avatar level. Well, they're they're asking you to function at the level that they understand you to be at, right. which okay. is a level of a certain amount of competence. You know, they see you as being very competent. They see you without the full knowledge of how far you have to grow. 
Right. You know what I mean? They see the potential that exists there, but they don't see the they don't necessarily see the shortcomings that you are able to see. Right. And I think it's I think it's a very common thing to find yourself in those Have you heard this from other people? Like uh, other uh, on the about podcast. the about the uh the imposter syndrome. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Really? Oh yeah, it's a it's a common thing that comes up a lot. Um it's a common thing that I've heard from I'm I'm very fascinated with the commonality. Like I love people's individual stories. Right. I love bringing people on here because I love digging into their their deeper history and understanding what their story is and and you know understanding perfect perspectives that I could never possibly imagine. You know, right. I had I had Ruben from uh, Bracheros in here and uh, Egoista. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in Reno Divorce for a long time. Right. Dude, he grew up in Peru, man. Wow. And so he was telling me he's all about- He's the bass about, player, right? Uh, he's the drummer. Oh, the drummer. Yeah, so me. he's telling me all about his experience growing up in Peru, and it's something I could, never could have imagined. So that's a big part of it. But then another part of it is I love learning about and attempting to- to show perspectives, uh, common exp- experiences with musicians and artists, so that the people who are listening can begin to destigmatize it. Right. You know, there's this like, like I had these perceptions about you guys that you guys were at this higher level that that we were never going to attain, and that that you guys were like, like that we were in competition with each other in some way. You know what I mean? I think that's originally what we were speaking of earlier. Right, right. Is that that was a competition thing, even though... We it really even, isn't. It's not really in the same genre or whatever. It's like, yeah, it's fine. Well, and then we... Well, but then we met each other, and I started to become aware of the commonality of our experience. Of course. I mean, anything that you do in this world or industry, and I guess speaking back to what we were talking about just a little bit about the imposter syndrome, uh, syndrome is what yeah, you call it? Yeah, imposter syndrome yeah, is, is how it's fine. commonly referred to, I think. I think it's kind of naive for myself even to think that it was like just me that feels that way. You're right. It's got to be something that's in a way universal. Being a musician in the first place, you have to have that faux confidence to do what you're doing in the first place. And then putting that with some reality check, it's like it's not always rainbows and butterflies. Sometimes you're going to eat it on a show. Sometimes you're going to do this. And it's like your ego's hit. And that's when that reality sinks in. It's like, yeah, I guess you're right. right. It is, it well, is we something. Tend to, we tend to be hyper aware of how the audience perceives something in real time. Well, you have to be because otherwise right. you don't know why it works. Right. If you don't, if, if you're a band and you're like, oh, they just liked it. If you say that, you have no idea what you're doing right. that is working. Now, and that's, now that's if you want to be a very engaged performer and entertainer. Obviously, there are. But even creatives. if you're not, if even if you're not engaging, you know that chaos is what it is. Right. I'm going to break this. I'm going to do this. It may not work. You know, gutter mouth. They're like, we kind of like uh, it's sometimes sloppy, and right. that's like we know that we know how to play the parts right. Right. It's kind of the opposite. That's of that. kind of what you're paying for as a as a spectator, anyway. Though is like you're, but they you're, know that, right, right, that people Even, are paying the money to come in and and see the the chaos unfold. Chaos, and sometimes that's yeah, it right. has different views and forms. But now there are there there are certainly artists who are uh, 
you know, uh, eccentric geniuses mm. who have maybe the inability to pick up on social cues or and and give me and, an example. Oh, I because I, I see where you're going. I, I want to know, like, like Prince. Are you thinking like someone that big? I or, wonder. See, I because I think he had really strong see, understanding. Well, and I I think I think Prince was was definitely someone who connected with his audience um, really well. But there, uh, you know, I've seen. Oh, man, I'm I'm like on the spot trying to think yeah, of an yeah, example sorry. of like I, of like someone like who's like more of a savant. You hmm. know what I mean? And like there are artists out there who feel, oh, here's a great example. Okay. Um, the guys from uh, Radiohead. Yeah. Okay. Um, these bands that like they re or like, God, what's his name from Oasis? Gallagher. Gallagher. Uh, yeah. The people who have like contempt for their audience, you know hmm. what I mean? And they just see performing live as a means to an end. Right. You know what I mean? Like, they have to make the money and like what they're what they're good at is making music for people and, and they have to do it but they have a certain amount of contempt for it and they may they may not have that connection with mm. their audience or you know like someone who's just like a, the Morrisseys like the Gallagher's the yeah the Morrisseys the Billy Corgans the uh Billy Corgan actually seems to me like a pretty likable guy Hmm. Like, did you hear? Did you hear the interview he did on Joe Rogan a couple years ago? Yeah, dude, he. I'm a big fan of. Uh, I've met him once. And it, oh, really? What was what? So, as someone who's actually met him in person, uh, when he doesn't have a microphone in front of him, what was your experience me- I was, meeting him? I was lucky because it was me, uh, the tour manager who I know, who's the guy who tour managed when we were with Jane's Addiction. He got me in the room, but basically, Billy Corgan's a big fan of baseball. So he is yeah. very into sports in general. He likes he's a sports guy. The Rockies pitcher was there. So they just sat and talked and I just kind of like <laughs> fly on the wall, didn't say a damn word. Didn't say a word and just kind of like was He just, didn't want to talk music. He, he wanted, had nothing he wanted to say. There's nothing I could have said to him. And how do you starstruck, you know, starstrike a, a rock star, you know, with uh, a sports well, I'm not star. A, like me a rock star? No, I'm not I, a rock I star. no no no. Oh. I mean I mean like Oh like yeah, someone like him. You yeah, know, how does a rock star become starstruck unless oh. it's by like I don't know a movie star or right. a, or a, or an athlete? athlete. Yeah, know? that's it. So he was in there and they just made jokes and cracked wise and literally baseball talked. Oh yeah, <laughs> the whole time. And I'm just like, oh okay, this is cool, I guess. I but he, to me, I feel like Billy Corgan is a guy. And watching interviews and uh, following all their stuff and ha- hearing like weird, um, I would go buy CDs early on from like their recordings in France and like their stuff in Germany. So I have like all these weird discs that I like kind of per- in a way picture and piece together what his personality is. And he's really interesting because to me he feels like he's hyper aware that he knows how to create good music. Right. But – at the same time, sabotages himself in a way. I don't know. It's just like maybe the more artisty kind of like. like I, I also think that when you get to that level, yeah, um, there's going to be a certain level of of. There's going to be a certain disconnect from. Uh, 
there's going to be a certain difficulty to having just regular Joe relationships. Yeah. Everybody who knows who he is is going to treat him like he who he is who he is. You know what I mean? For sure. Like you'll hear oftentimes people in the music business. I I got to sit down and talk with uh, with Ritz, the rapper here recently. And we sat down and we're talking and and we're off mic and we're kind of just hanging out and shooting the shit. And we were talking about uh, I got to interview Jaron Benton, who's another who's another rapper. And we were talking about him, and I was just talking about how I really enjoyed, you know, getting to know Jaron and and all these things. And and Ritz said, yeah, he's like one of my only real friends in the music business. Yeah, you know, that's because, a real too. That's a real phrase, right? Real friend, like, and that's not something maybe that you and I have to think about very much. Being right, relatively average guys. Yeah, you know, I mean, I've heard the phrase. I mean, I've never had to really experience it because we're just babies, right? You know, there's no real like, no one can get anything from me. Well, and we're not. We're not monolithic rock stars like sure. someone like Billy Corgan is. Right. You know, he comes from an era where rock stars still existed. Right. Where people idolized and became obsessed with certain people. I mean, he is not necessarily on the level that like Kurt Cobain was, mm. but he was pretty fucking close. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Kurt Cobain lost his fucking mind, you know, because of drugs and other things, but I well, mean Well, drugs and other things, but also playing in front of a so it's not just a sold out stadium, playing in sold out stadium after sold out stadium after sold out right. stadium right. and having people become scarily obsessed with your art. Right. It warps your sense of identity it right. warps your 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 view of reality you don't go to the grocery store anymore you can't do normal things anymore and i mean that right. makes sense it's like that's a lot too much too fast i guess is the phrase you can know? you imagine trying to have a conversation with someone who is so enamored with you they can't get words out of their mouth no i mean no way. You, you know like we're like you're like you're like hi i'm nate and they're like i I, I, I just I love you so much. Oh my god! Right, I, you know, and they like busting out their phone and what, like just acting like maniacs. Right, you know that is that could be scary. Well, and I way. think I think it would skew the way. Like I read in um, the dirt when I first we we passed the dirt around. You know, I I think every band had the dirt in their van the year that it got released. Right. And we had the dirt in our van, and we passed it around like till the pages were falling out, just like reading about Motley Crue, mm. you know, who reading that book made me less of a fan of them. I was gonna say I've never was a fan. I never even picked up the book. See, I'm like, eh. see, that's the thing is, I was, I, I was, I like liked the album Too Fast for Love. You know, I liked things off of it, and I was starting to get introduced to it. But I was at that like early stage of interest where it was like I could have either become a really big fan if they had been really awesome, or just kind of tossed them aside and when i read the dirt we're like reading all these you know stories and it made me like them a lot less but one of the things that they said in that was they were talking about i can't remember which one of them it was but was talking about how the crowd becomes more of of a herd it becomes more of this like amorphous entity Hmm. you stop seeing it you stop seeing the forest for the trees right 
You stop seeing the individuals in the crowd. It's just a sea. It's just a sea, like a hive mind. Right. You know, and so these like mega rock stars who are in that position. And it, and I think this is fun to talk to you about this because you have, a, you know, a background in psychology. And mm-hmm. I am like super fascinated with psychology and right. sociology, you know. So I think that they just start to develop this contempt for the entity that is the crowd because it is so chaotic and simple in a lot of ways. You had to, I mean, during that time, of course, you'd feel some resentment for it. Right. And if you look at the history of like those bands that have something that's going on, the way that they would churn them out is kind of like a mill where it's like you're touring not one year, but like four years straight. Right. Your whole life is revolving around this. There's always going to be some resentment that you're – like the idea of like I want to create stuff with my friends in a garage – you don't realize, like, oh, guess what? Now you have to learn how to drive. Now you have to learn how to fix your vehicle. And all these things are, like, things of our reality. Their reality was, like, oh, I don't get free time anymore. Right. My life is being monitored, moved around kind of like a cattle, like cattle, in a van, out of a van, in a plane, out of a plane, on stage, getting back in the van, go back to the hotel, get up. And it's, like... At first, I think everyone would enjoy that. Well, because because they present you with material rewards. Yeah, instantaneous material rewards. It, it, it's like it's like you can now buy any car that you want. You can now buy any house that you want. You can now have sex with pretty much any person that you want. Like you you could probably like an old lady on the street mm. would would. Probably go home with you if you like literally anyone right. from supermodel to my grandma will go home with you. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's gonna be a culture shock. You yeah, know? yeah. Like, you can you can travel anywhere in the world. You can eat anything that you want. You can own. Jonathan Davis from Corn owns fucking Ted Bundy's Volkswagen. Yeah, you know what I mean. But can he go to the grocery store? No. You know. Yeah. Can he get cheap seats at a baseball game? Yeah, you can't do that stuff you, anymore. You know, you know what I mean? Like when you're at that level, you know, to the point where isn't that a, a basic form of losing freedoms? Right? Yeah, so it's yeah, like yeah. Almost like a self-imposed prison in a way. Yeah, it, it's it, a prison not, with golden bars. Right, with golden bars. I mean, where you're catered on hand and foot and taken care of, but at the same time, your actual ability to have true freedom of doing what you want. And I mean. I'm I'm over oversimplifying that. That, that. No, that but I mean really... I mean and and I'm sure there are things about it that they really 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 love. Mm. You know, we've played some big shows. You've played bigger you've played more big shows than I have, but we have played some it's big a, shows. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Getting in front of all those people is great and playing your music and being up there with your buds. There's there's nothing like it in the world or in your case your bud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one, one dude. One, one dude. There's nothing like it in the world. But I imagine that if you had to do it for – if you had to do it for a living mm-hmm. and you had to – you had to follow direction on your set list and you had all these these things that were that were attached to the business side of it and you had to deal with a group of people who, who, who turn just, on you sometimes. Who just got a – yeah, yeah, yeah. And you not know, even talking about bandmates. Just no, like your band, crowd. Yeah, your crowd. crowd. Yeah. You know, they can – they they feel an ownership of you 
Well, like I was saying about Billy Corgan, it's like I was obsessive a little bit about it. And right. now when he's not like how I've perceived him, now that's his fault. Right. That's a mental thing that I think a lot of people build. Right. It's we are as humans, we compartmentalize things just so we understand them. Uh, we have schemas and reasonings for why things happen. Right. I hear a door slam. It must be windy. Right, right, right. I see uh, someone fall down. It looks like they're older. They must have a bad hip or something going on. Right, right, right. So you have things in your mind that you've built up. So when he's not the way I perceived it, that's the safe, that's my safety zone. So now I'm challenged. That becomes a problem. Now I resent him. Right, right. He has. Because he he shattered your dreams. He has gone (laughs) against how I think he should be to me. Right. So when the mirror isn't what I want to see, then I'm upset. Right. And that happens with just everything. You know, it's like even with product placement. Oh, this thing I just bought looked like this. It doesn't work like this. This is where you get self-entitlement. Right. Or or if – there's that old saying, the higher you climb, the more your ass shows. And this is actually a topic <laughs> – That's great. I've no, never it, heard that. That's, Johnny Cash said that. I've never had to climb anything. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's a, there's going, also that Tom Waits song where he's like, the higher that the monkey can climb, the more he shows his tail. It's the same thing. It's like, it's like the higher you get, uh-huh. the more noticeable you are, and the more people are going to feel justified in pointing out your shortcomings and your faults. Mm-hmm. The bigger you – like, if you become supremely successful – you aren't going to want to read the comments on social media about what people say about you. Oh, man. They're you funny, know, though. You, they're you know, so they're, funny. They're, see, and, and this is something I wanted to ask you guys about. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, so, like, we've been starting to do these these live streams. Obviously, didn't get to do it today, but we've been right. really pushing this podcast. And, and, and we've been traveling overseas, and we don't see a ton of criticism. Mm. But we start seeing more and more of it when we find ourselves in in a broader public eye. Oh, like a bigger show or something yeah, like that? Yeah, or like, um, you know, like the, the, the greater the audience that we, that we get in front of, the more likely we are to be seen by people who aren't part of our fan club. For sure. And are going to have nasty things to say. Right. You know what I mean? Just internet people. Mm-hmm. And and that's part of that. The the higher you climb, the the, the more you show your ass, sort of thing. Yeah. You know, you see like like the, the the biggest example I can, the most common example I could give you, uh, that 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 is now become kind of a meme and a joke is like people who do the you know I'm just going to say it. I don't like the Beatles. I think they're overrated and blah 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 and right. start throwing shade on the Beatles, the greatest band of arguably the, one of the like greatest and most influential bands of all time, mm-hmm. right? So you can write a hit. You can write an amazing song and climb to this level of su- success that people only dream about, but the cost of it is is that you have surrendered the safety of your own little private tribe, your own right. little house, your own little neighborhood. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. Like – you can write something like Stairway to Heaven and people can trash it and talk about how it's a shitty song, even though it's a it's an achievement of of songwriting, right? Yeah. How much have you guys seen 
since since you've started like really touring a lot, really growing your band, mm-hmm. really playing bigger shows and getting in front of some larger audience and seeing rapid growth. How much have you seen in terms of negative feedback and shade coming back at you? We, we've, I mean, early on, like I said, we we came in to from Greeley to Denver, so we saw a little bit of it, a lot of it early on. Right, a lot of it's dissipated. Um, what we see now at, um, we do get from time to time. I would say someone that doesn't like us or someone trolling us, so to speak. I think that for myself, it's been important to spend more time with things that are really, truly important or right. to realize, like, putting certain things in perspective, you know. Um, some people aren't very happy and don't right. like where their life is, and they will say things and do things, and social media has given people a voice. Right. I'm not saying that that's what our situation is. Um, I'm well, saying and that- happy people aren't going to throw shade. Right. Well, they have more – or busy people have more important things to do. Right. They're not like, I just need to go and sit on the internet and I'm going to go and shit on these people. Like if you're if you're miserable and you have nothing but time on your hands, that then you're like more likely to be the type of person who is going to go on and talk I, shit. I would, I would say that that's kind of the personality. Um, so it's important to re- realize what those, those – that's where it's probably coming from. And I've learned – with age and being older, early on, I was used to be very angry. I was just like, right. how dare you? I'm putting myself out there. I'm doing these things. Right. I'll but, get in the fight. Right. Now, I don't I don't go to the fight. I don't do any of that. Instead, I spend – I used to be kind of resentful to my family, but I'm getting closer to my family than I've ever been. Right. I'm, I get to see my mom and my dad and my brother, and I just like – those are kind of like where it's going. It's like – I'm not going to fight you. I'm going to go and hang out with my brother and we're going to get a burger and we're going to go on on a on a truck right. on a ride or something. So I, a lot of things have changed in my life and the things that I'm seeing, I mean, we, I don't know. I guess I don't really pay attention right. to to seeing if there is I mean, I hear through mumblings that people still don't like me and that's fine. That's okay, but I'm not thinking about them and I'm not letting it See that just that just that seems so Absorbed odd to life. me because I always saw you guys as being someone for whom there was a lot of support and a lot of push behind. We did get we do have a lot of love. I yeah, mean yeah. there is some I, I've, stuff. I've always I've always seen and to hear that there was a period of time where you guys struggled with catching shade from people here in town is very surprising. It, it was from mostly just musicians. It wasn't from fans. Right. It no, wasn't from and, people that and we were experienced just, that early on too. You know what I'm talking about though. Yeah, it's yeah. like it but when we experienced it Yeah, what happened? When we experienced it is because we were being Drunk, loudmouth, obnoxious cretins. You know what I mean? Right. When we experienced it, it was completely deserved. Right. You know, it was it was something where we were being nasty or we were being deliberately antagonistic or we were engaging in fights or right. we had a crowd that was around. I mean, we've been going in one form or another since 1997. Jeez, yeah. So we were in high school. We were teenage boys with a bunch of dumb fuck teenage boys following us around. Isn't it weird how we've changed? No, Just, yeah. I mean, I would— One would hope. Yeah, I think I mean, that— one would hope that you would grow up. I mean, when I started, it was the same thing. We were, we were younger, and we were children, and we didn't know what we were doing, and right. we were, like you said, drinking too much or being obnoxious, and it's like— 
I don't live that way anymore. Well, there was probably now. Now, if if correct me if I'm wrong here. Yeah. But do you think that there was any part of that that was the result of growing up on the farm and going to Greeley and and feeling like going into a market like Denver with a fur a certain mindset where you felt like you had to establish yourself from the get-go in a very assertive and aggressive manner. Right. Is there any of that that was present there? I think that was just my own ignorance from growing up and like graduating with 23 kids and seeing more cows and and tractors than you do human beings and not really having the social skill to interact properly. Right. I mean, it's you, kind were, of a, you were just more feral. Yeah. I was like a, <laughs> I don't know how any way else but to say I'm going to send this person an email directly. Right. Like, so you, oh, you, no, you, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't go and hit up the manager of uh, the, the Belly Up Aspen. You shouldn't hit him up directly. I'm like – I just did. You hadn't you uh, hadn't been you hadn't been indoctrinated with the rules of decorum. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, I didn't realize that I It's pretty good. Well, the thing is is that there's a pecking order. Right. I didn't understand that and I'm just like I'm going to go and sit right here and they're like, "Wait, there's like 40 people in front of you." I'm like, "Not now." <laughs> I didn't know. I'm just, it was in my ignorance, my my own stupidity, my own inability. But it ended up working out in your favor. It, I mean, it did end up working out in your your favor. I mean, we're favor. we're doing okay. I mean, we're we're very lucky, and we work really hard. And yeah, you guys do work um, really hard. Very blessed to be at the position, and we have such great fans and people that have supported us from a kind of a change of our sound. And it's, we're just thankful. I'm very thankful now. I've changed a lot of how I was. I used to be very angry, and I'm not. Right. I don't want to be angry anymore. Well, I th- I think um, I think m- many, if not most, young people are very angry and very sad and very guilty and very ashamed and very scared and very hurt and wounded in certain ways and have, because of the way your teenage brain works, it has not necessarily figured out how to reconcile and make room for that constellation of emotional experience that you Mm -hmm. feel as as a child. And if we're lucky, we learn those skills and learn learn the ability to be able to channel those properly. Some people and to, and to cope about. with them in a healthy way. Right, I, right. Like in the whale was an outlet for that anger. I was like, I'm so upset with feeling like I don't understand or right. that I'm I'm working harder than this and I should be at a better place in my life, you know, and I'm not. And those upsetting – so I used In the Whale as a channel like I'm going to get this aggression out. Right. Because I would rather do that than go and like fight somebody. I don't want to fight anybody. Right, right. You know, right. I'm 6'2". I'm a, almost 200 pounds. I'm a big guy. Not the most – but, I, you know, I don't want to fight anybody. I, the, well, and fights can – like I've never seen a fight have a positive outcome. You know, a street fight anyway. Yeah, I don't – You know, I mean like – I don't know. I've gotten into like – if you have a beef with someone and you're able to solve it in a diplomatic way and de-escalate mm-hmm. it, you could have a friendship with someone yeah. after that. Or you could at least make the agreement that you're not going to be enemies. Or you could at least – you at least walk away and neither one has physically endangered the other. Right. But if you get into a fight with someone, it's like your monkey brain – Right. Just goes that person is is an enemy, right? You know that person. That person is a from a rival monkey tribe. Like I need to avoid that person. I need to be afraid of that person, right? 
You know, I, I it's hard. It's, it's there's a lot of learning curves, right? And and one of the things that I've established early on with this with this podcast and 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 kind of a direction that I've gone over the last few years after dealing with a few times where someone tried to throw some anger on the internet mm. is the way that I deal with it now is just like if you're looking for a fight you came to the wrong place right i'm not because i'm not going to fight with you it's just not going to happen i'm not going to argue with you right especially on a keyboard in yeah. a limited form where there's no tone or context right but i'll tell you what and that's and, healthy i think that's yeah. a healthy way to deal with it you know or right. to you know, just talk, try to talk reason, I guess, to, yeah. the, to the person in pu- in a public setting as, as opposed to, like you said, behind a keyboard where it's like, are you talking down to me? I can't, there's right. no real context. Well, of how and it also opens, off. it opens up anyone to put their two cents into the argument, mm-hmm. you know, and I've, I've been having discussions with people on public forums and have had someone on my side or theirs mm-hmm. come in and try and and help right and all it does is it's adding noise to more it's noise adding noise and it's elevating the anxiety in the situation right you know what i mean i've never actually seen one of those helpful moments where someone's actually really diffused right a situation by interjecting no i've never actually like i guess i don't look for that anymore right because i'm not I don't want to fill my life with that. I want to make music and for the people that want it. And if you don't like it, that's fine. But you do handle the social media for In the Whale, right? Right. I do. um, Well, Eric and I both do the Facebook. I do the Instagram and he does the Twitter. Okay. He's a lot more clever than I am. So, I mean, and and he can spell properly. I can't. (laughs) You can't spell for shit? No, I'm really bad at it. So if I didn't have autocorrect or if I didn't have just like, oh, I can take a cool picture, I can do that. Right, right. I just like... I, I know where I'm limited. Do you guys do you guys engage uh, a lot with um, with the people who follow you? Yeah, I mean, there's we've we've painted ourselves in a corner like in the whale sucks. You know, is kind of a thing people chant at our shows. Right? Are you serious? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like we already have kind of a tongue in cheek situation. You know, even though we're kind of a harder band, it's like that's something that usually doesn't go paired together. Right, right. Um, but we have. We get a lot of jokey people, and we get a lot of whatever. So, right with a grain of salt, these things be had. You know, it's like right, there's not right, much right. that we're. What can I do? You know, somebody's mad at me. It's like really mad at me. It's like I've had people say, you know, like I hope you and your family die in a car wreck, and I'm not going to engage with that. It's what, like what an awful thing to say to someone. I'm, I'm, and I doubt that if you were sitting across the table with that individual, they would even think to say something like that. Well, to I you. would hope they. Because, because if they had some real problem with somebody that they wouldn't do what they did to me or others, you know, right. like I would hope that they could talk in a conversation. And that's where I'm at now. It's like I'm I don't have any real I don't, I don't think of anything that anyone's mad at me about because I'm not engaging. I don't care. Right. I, I'm just going to be the best I can. I'm going to be as kind to everybody as I can. I'm going to love everyone right. I can. I'm going to go and play music as loud as I can and as and scream as hard as I can for the people that care about us. And I'm going to go and love my mom and dad and my family and just going to be around them. And that's what I'm going to do. Right. <laughs> no, say it, and same thing is it's it's I've had to because if you I don't know 
quantify your value based upon what people are writing about you on the internet, Mm -hmm. which is oftentimes nothing at all or sometimes or sometimes bad or not so nice and but most of the times good when it is there uh, i think that can skew your um the, your internal reality of your own personal value yeah, you know you can shake yourself where whereas if you focus on the smaller number of people who care about you the most you know like my son my wife my mom my dad people like that focus on my bandmates you know, focus on my little tribe of 150 right. people, give or take, right? And just focus on doing right by them and keeping them happy. I think it's important to do that. Yeah, you know, because I think early on, I I personally neglected the things that really, in my mind, now are the most important things. Right. Because I was like, I don't have time to talk to my family. I'm on the road. I don't. You know, it's like I wasn't making time for things. Or right. Have you started doing that more? And, oh, yeah. and touring less. Oh, no, um, a little bit. It's it's kind of a little bit of both. I mean, we're just taking things that are like you were saying are more important shows, so to speak, and spending more time with family and people that like before. I was just I didn't care. I'm just going to play music. It doesn't matter. It's right, just what right. we're going to do. I'm. Haven't called my family and whatever. I don't, you know. I'm lucky because I have a family that cares about me, even though, in spite of myself, where I was not caring. Right. No. And I and I and I get that. And I've um, I've definitely had the times where where the only thing that I made any time for was band related stuff. It's like I have this show, I have this tour, I'm working on this record, I'm working on this thing, you know, and mm-hmm. I I kept people at a relative distance and um and that was not serving me terribly well. It feels good at the time cuz you feel productive. Yeah, you feel productive, you feel... but you also don't have the deep connections that you're going to have with the people who really give a shit about you. Yeah, it's weird that you work so hard to like get something done, you're like, "Oh, I'm so productive," and you go to tell somebody and no one's there because you've right. built a wall around yourself. Right. I was finding that I like I really don't have friends. Oh, why don't I have friends? It's because Everyone I know is related to music. Right, because I don't cultivate friendships. I don't make friendships. I'm not here to make your to be your friend. I'm here to make music and entertain people and to make people happy. Right. But then that's it. Right. Now I go home and I'm like sitting in my house by myself. And then people are like it's like it's like, what did you do this weekend? It's like it's like, oh, we went to this show or we went to this amusement park or we went and saw this movie or we had a barbecue over at so and so's house and and it's just like, it's like, oh, you know, I, I totally would have gone. It's like, oh, yeah. well, we don't think to invite you to things right. anymore. Because you're, you're never there. Because you're never there. It's you're... weird to learn how to be domestic again. Right. To kind of like, just being older, you're just learning how to do things that are like, oh, I can go to a movie and not, and the guilt I feel like, oh, I feel like I need to be writing or trying to create or something. Right, right. I made it a big point in my life not to consume as much either, Um, not to consume as much um, natural resources as well as like resources of uh, just just time things. Not to waste as much time. Right. I want to create. I want to go and, okay, so I have a little, I have an hour today. I'm going to go and paint. I'm going to do a podcast. I'm going to go and do something like to, to gain, to give as opposed to consume, which is different. Right. And it's and it's easy. Do you measure your screen time at all? 
Yeah, I do. I have a monitor where I'm not allowed to have as much social media where I lock it. Right. That's I do, smart. I do it because uh, I don't want to be a zombie. Like you get to, sucked down a hole, man. Well, you came in today, and I was like, that was today. That was my hour <laughs> that I had. So you, I look like a crazy person, just like just trying, like trying to, to get it in. Yeah. <laughs> what uh, do I need to reply to anything? Okay, good. Dude, the, the empty <laughs> that the, like the checking and rechecking. <sighs> That's like, stupid. I, I, I get so guilty of that. Like. And it almost always coincides with a period of time where I'm dealing with some sort of mental unrest, mm. you know, where I'm depressed or experiencing anxiety in some way. It's almost like it's almost like I'm chain smoking a pack of cigarettes. Yeah, it becomes a good it, it becomes comforting. Yeah. And I noticed myself feeling that comfort, like seeing the screen. I'm like, oh, this feels and I'm like, this got to stop. It feels because too good. Because that's, that's, a, that's addictive behavior that's, that's being personified right. into something where it's like, what am I doing? Well, I'm just looking and I'm not like liking someone's photo or I'm commenting on someone's funny quote. Why don't I just go and live as opposed to – I had a <laughs> – I had recently um, – and it was, it was an anxiety-inducing epiphany is I – I asked myself one day, I was like, is the whole purpose of my entire music career just to support my dopamine addiction? Mm. Isn't that weird? You know what I mean? Like, am I just doing this so that I can create opportunities for love and attention on social media? Right. So that I can see those videos and those pictures and those likes and those comments and right. and have that thing like am i just setting myself up to get that hit when i need it later right. like am i just trying to create as many opportunities as i can to get that email about you know the show getting booked or get the email about the release date or see the pictures from our show on this tour or see the comments on the thing that we rolled out. Like is my entire creative enterprise all just a big setup for a dopamine addiction? I mean, that's got to be a part of it. I mean, to be a musician, you have to want to crave that in a way. You want to have those experiences. You want to have those memories. You want to go and have that – that high, so to speak. Right. It is kind of a junkie mentality to be a musician. You yeah. work X amount of hours. Especially a really obsessed one. Right. Yeah. You drive how many hours in a van with people that are smelly and tired, and then you have 30 minutes of a high or 45 or an hour right. of whatever your stage is, and then you're like, okay, got to – we're on to our next fix. What do we have to do to survive to get hey, to the next Let's time? get on and see the pictures right. of the show last night. Oh, my night. God. That was so let's good. Say, oh, my God. We get to go do this interview, and we get to go do this, and da, 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 just like, oh, yeah. Right. And you got to wonder how much of it is like, like – But how you much- have control of that. You right. can go and decide that is what I'm after or um, really take an active account that you're just like – I don't need to see this. I don't need to hear this again. But maybe hopefully this was helpful for someone else. Right. Hopefully hearing my terrible voice and my terrible timbre <laughs> on this wonderful – what is this? Uh, RC uh, – I think it's a, uh, a road. It, well, it's, it's a, a road. microphone. Nice condenser mic. It, whatever it is. That, that Maybe this is helpful. It's to somebody. Or maybe not. You know, it's like maybe, right. maybe what we were saying earlier, like this is relatable. So somebody's like – I feel that way or I get that. You know, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. 
we're doing this for something. Yeah, no, I think so. And I and and I do hear this is the other thing too is, I, and I'll, I'll share this with you and then and then we'll take a quick break. But I wanted I want to share this with you. So after we did the live stream with uh, with Aaron Say, mm-hmm. you know it's it's only one of the I think it was the second one that we did, and I was really excited about it. And I was excited about the reach we got. I was excited about how many people Aaron got to watch it. I was excited about hitting this new level and how much our show had grown. And mm-hmm. and was getting very excited about the possibilities of where because we're we're really running the band more like more like a media channel now. Mm-hmm. It's not just albums and shows. It's also the podcast and the YouTube channel and all these things and the right. comic book and. We're, we're trying to make it so it's something that works, even though we can't tour like as much as, as you guys are against the grain do, you know, the like road dog friends of ours. Right. You know, this is the this is the way that we can keep it engaged. So I was very excited about that new possibility. And I mentioned to you before we got on, the only comment that I got back was from, you know, obviously not a very happy person who who just said, you know, I wish the host would shut up to, and stop <laughs> interrupting Aaron and blah, 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 blah. And and that was like the only thing we got back. And as much as I tried to just ignore it or just laugh it off, right. it's one of those things where it still hurts. Right. You know, it hurts to hear things like that because right. um because this this is like something you are creating. You're, you're right. creating something and you're right. doing something and you've put effort into this and like setting up this microphones, getting the room proper, emailing the person and doing right. all this stuff. There's a lot of effort you've already extended. Right. It's just like so being then in a someone, band. someone that can just sit behind their computer and go, that sucked. Right. Two words. That, that sucks. Or uh, we, we, put, we and, put a video up once and because our label promotes our stuff, you know, because we get a, a broader reach because we have right. a label that actually markets it. Right. And so you get someone who just wants to one word terrible. Right. I remember right. Uh, Steve Goldberg telling me a story about an album they put out and they had a review that just said downloaded, listened, deleted, forgotten. That was the whole review. Wow, that's brutal. It's brutal, right? And it I reminds went, me of a spinal tap review. What is it? Sh- oh, sh- shark sandwich. Yeah, shark sandwich. Shit <laughs> Two sandwich. words. Yeah. Shit sandwich. Right. It doesn't really say that, does it? Yeah. So shit I, sandwich. I went home and I'm sitting on the couch with my wife and she can tell that I'm somewhere else. Uh-huh. And I I am able to, through years of meditation and through years of, of, of doing mental health work, I am able to observe my emotional experience from a, a certain distance and I don't get overtaken by it but i will sit and ruminate for a while and i will sit and like 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 stew on something for a while i'll i'll indulge my pettiness from time to time Mm -hmm. and i'm sitting down there and i'm just thinking she can tell and i was just like i was like i get it i know it's just going to be part of us growing right you know no matter what we're going to experience that and it's something to celebrate because you know the only people don't throw shade on on you until you get to a certain right. level where you are you're hitting enough people and ears and right. eyes that eventually you're not going to please everybody. Right. It's like nobody like if all the press you're getting is positive, something's wrong. Something's wrong, right? right. So if if all the feedback you're getting, you know, I work for a very successful company and mm-hmm. I answer their Yelp and Google reviews and one is in, it brutal? One in 50 
Really? One in 50 of them are pretty nasty, but for the most part, it's all positive. But, you know, angry people at this great company, you know. So, I mean, it's it's part of it, and I understand right. that. But I kind of just, like, expressed – I was like, the petty side of me mm-hmm. just he wants, wants to, to go and rattle something off on them. Or just pull everything down. Oh. You know, the petty part of me wants to just go, like – subscription only right. or not even release anything out to the world or just send it directly to the people who actually give a shit like it right and actually give a shit just like mailing list keep it stuff. away from people yeah you know it's like it's like i did all this work and i didn't do it so that you can take a shit on it right but if you do that you run the risk of also cutting off the person who finds it surprisingly right falls in love with what you do or right. is like deeply impacted by it like like you're talking about this conversation we're having right you know if this was just a thing where you and I were having and we weren't recording it and we weren't putting it out into the world yes we run the risk of somebody saying something shitty in the comments or taking one of us to task on something right or, or they probably won't, but we run we run the risk of someone throwing shade, right? Right. But we also run the risk of impacting someone's life in such a valuable way that it alters the trajectory of their entire lifespan. You know, like you can you can create a song that may be found by someone, or you can say something right. to someone that makes them feel in such a way that they remember it for the rest of their lives, right? And they remember the positive impact that it made, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the positives definitely keep you going too. You know, it's like, but yeah, like you said, we we are running that risk. And what is, I mean, you have to have that risk. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, it's important to do it. Um, in regards to this one where this person said this negative thing, it's like I, back in the day before there was a platform to go and say, I can go and voice how I feel. Right. People would get buy a vinyl from the store without knowing what's on it and just like, I paid for it. I'm going to try and listen. Give it. Oh, I'm going to make I, an effort. I, I understand it now. Oh, I get this. I think I lo- this is my favorite band, but I hated this at first. Or like art, um, people would see it and go – you know what? I'm going to take my sticky note and put that right on there. I don't like that. Right. What are you doing? If you don't like it, people would just I don't just just walk away. Right. Or right. just like I'm I don't like this vinyl. I'm going to give it to my brother or somebody else. Right. And some something was created, effort was put in. If you don't like it, that's fine. You don't have to have this verbal affirmation where you have to say it. Well, there's also a gaming and reward system True. associated with dunking on people now. Oh. So if you if what, you now give me an example. Well, if you talk shit at a high enough level, like if you create if you create a mean and spiteful meme that oh. makes people laugh or you throw something in the comments that really burns on someone, mm-hmm. you know, and and generate a lot of likes from it or get a lot of, you know, uh digital see... pats on the back from your fellow trolls. Oh. There that's like there's a gaming system to it. Twitter is awful about that. You don't. You don't. I, I don't. I don't. So you don't Twitter. deal with the Twitter, but I'm sure Eric could could speak to Eric, some of the nastiness that you see on. Eric Twitter. loves like when people talk badly. Does he? <laughs> I, he thinks it's hilarious. He doesn't do anything. Right. But well, he, I don't know because he I don't, likes to watch people eat shit on the internet. I I don't know if he does. Actually, I can't speak for that. But I know that if somebody says something like 
Like, oh, that's a burn, you know. Like he he's he likes that. No, I like um, I like a good burn as much as the next right. guy. Right, but that's just like cracking wise with your friends. Right, like usually but on the internet, it's like different, right, dude? It's it's like magnified to this huge degree where just mm. like dunking on someone can. Wow, I don't know this. I don't know any of this. Wow, this is good. Yeah, I guess this yeah, is good. good that you don't know this. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Pers- Prescribe to, to the the hate. I don't want to prescribe to anyone being hurt. I don't recommend I, it. Stay off of everything. Jeez, I, I don't I guess. It. I, I, all I follow is uh, like Instagram. Let's take let's take a quick break. Okay. Uh, yeah, we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back. Yeah. Want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors. First and foremost. Oh, I got to teach you guys. Nick, do you know the Matula plumbing bit? Matula! Okay, see, he knows how to do it. All right. So <laughs> basically, so I'm going to say, I'm going to say, going to give a shout out to Matula plumbing, and then we all go, Matula! Okay. That's, that's like part of the tagline. So, okay. Going to give a quick shout out to our sponsors. First and foremost, our most venereal, nay, venerable sponsor, Matula Plumbing. Matula! This Plains, Illinois. Shit rolls downhill. Don't be at the bottom. Your number two is our number one priority. Your shit is our bread and butter. Angie's List Super Service Award winner back in 2011. One one is the only one that matters. He'll wear the booties for you. If you're uh, near the Chicago area, hit up Jerry Matula with your plumbing needs. He's the man. Yeah. That's Love that a- Jerry Matula. Rocket Space Rehearsal Studios in Denver, Colorado at uh, 27th and Larimer, right next to the Larimer Lounge. Do you guys ever rehearse over there? All the, I'm doing it tomorrow. Are you really? Yeah. You guys don't have your own lockout space? You just do? No. We used to. Rock- yeah, we used to have our own like whole basement, but now... Dude, Rocket Space is just easy. I've known Kay for forever. I actually worked there yesterday. From time to time, she'll have me come work. Really? Yep. Like running the counter? Yep. Really? I built the, I fixed the drywall and I also fixed the floor in the back. No way. Weird. Right on. Providing jobs to your local musicians as well. Rocket Space, you ain't got to carry shit. Flipside Music on South Acoma Street here in Denver. Ike has the. The highest quality selection of pedals, instruments, and amplifiers, plus uh, repairs and lessons, I believe. I could be mistaken. Take all the shit at the big box stores, distill it down to only its its finest essence, and that's Flipside Music. He's also uh, Archmaster of the Order of the Baldman, of which our uh, loyal producer Gordo is a charter member. So uh, I, I believe he does an Order of the Baldman discount. I'm not absolutely certain on that uh but go see ike and tell him that the boys sent you mutiny information cafe to south broadway in the heart of denver colorado uh this is a mutiny transmission and we support everything that mutiny does from books to records to coffee and cereal and fighting the man to fighting the man they do a lot of the man fighting yeah um they they organize live events they uh they do podcasts and all sorts of other ill shit down in the basement in um, in their studio. Their podcast studio is pretty badass. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. No, it's really cool, man. They've got some cool stuff there. Uh, stop on by, get a cup of coffee, 
or a try a mix of one of their Torini syrup combos there. No one has a larger selection of Torini syrups. Nobody. Mutiny Information Cafe. Tell them the boys sent you. Uh, oh, Evergroove Studio hey. in Evergreen, Colorado. We mentioned the Ethans on the show all the time <laughs> when we do the Evergroove shout out. This is one of the Ethans. Dude, I'm re- like, I talk about you on every episode of this show, hey, by the way. Uh, this isn't the first time I've heard that, but I appreciate <coughs> it very much. And yeah, so, I hope all good things. So, um, what, what, what did I give the same spiel every week? What do you think people should know about Evergroove that I may not have covered in, in my usual intro? Oh man! I do mention that you guys are solar powered. Well, yeah. I mean, there's there's all the obvious stuff that you can find on our website, but something new and very exciting is that we just finished a terrific little remodel of everything. And I new went up desk. there for the party at the yeah. remodel. Yeah, new desk filled with new gear. I didn't know the names of any of the gear, so why don't you shout yeah, out some of the fair. gear that's um, on that counter? Warm audio, huge, absolutely enormous. Yeah, shout outs. They're our favorite for all kinds of things, but especially hardware. Yeah, uh, and their microphones sound. Yeah, their microphones are bitching. Yeah. Um, hey, warm audio. Maybe we could get some stuff for the podcast. Yeah, That'd be pretty hey, dope. Let's, just talk to, let's talk to those guys. Yeah. Uh, West Tone Audio also. Yeah. Fantastic uh, people to work with. We get our IEMs from them. And what kind of board did you guys get? Uh oh, right. Yeah. Uh, it's a local uh, fabricator named Sean at Fortissimo Fab on Instagram. Wait, and so you guys had your own board fabricated? Oh, yeah, it's a completely custom desk. It weighs about 250 pounds. It's all iron and steel. What? And That's awesome. Yeah, beautiful. That's bad fucking ass. What's yeah. the sidecar that you guys are working off of, too? Uh, Same deal. Same deal? Yeah. Oh, the Kemper? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that, that, that bitch and Kemper that, that you guys got. Mm-hmm. We love Kempers. <laughs> well, we love recording so, up there. Yeah. Um, okay. Nope. <laughs> definitely, definitely the, the friendliest, most informative staff, producing engineers. Uh, I, I plan to give Ethan some sort of production credit on the new record he's doing. Uh, we did up there because, man, you were just you were such a like useful asset during that experience. Hey, thanks. Man. It was, it was so fun working with you, man. Well, and we work with what you give us and you gave us nothing but the best. Oh, go on. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So go up to Evergroove. See, uh, see Brad and Jenny about, Oh, here's, here's a question for you. I always reference black or shadow mountain. Which one is it actually on? Uh, so black mountain road turns into shadow mountain road. So, so wait, is Evergroove on? Sh- Evergroove is on Black Mountain. It's Drive. on. Black, well, but yeah, is it on the actual Black Mountain? Yes. Yes. Don't quote me on that. Okay, because what I usually <laughs> say. See, he doesn't know out. either. No, I have no idea. But I'm going to find out and we're going to know for next podcast. Because almost every episode I go, I go in the Black or Shadow Mountain region of Evergreen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't They. I think maybe one of those mountains doesn't exist. I don't know. Either way, it sounds very spooky and ominous and cool. It's the shadow of Black Mountain. Maybe it is. Maybe it's the night on Bald Mountain. (laughs) (laughs) So um, we did our uh, Oingo Boingo tribute this weekend, and they had like all kinds of spooky videos playing on the monitor back behind us. 
And they had, during one of the breaks, they had Night on Bald Mountain playing and, you know, from Fantasia. Yeah. And, like, it was the scene where the, the sun starts coming out and all the demons are starting to retreat back into their holes. And I just spent a good three and a half minutes just mocking the demons for being such pussies about sunlight. It's like, <laughs> yeah, get back in your graves, you demon bitches. Can't even stand a little sunlight. Ew! We're the source of all the evil in the world, but we don't know how the rotation of the earth works. <laughs> anyway. Is this on stage? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Wait, what club was it? Uh, the Owl. Oh, my God. The Owl so, so you're over there just ripping on the... Oh, just ripping on the demons, man. Ripping on them. If I, I, I bet people... Demons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some demons. Some demons. Anyway, go to Evergroove Studio. Try, uh, try them out for your next project. They do amazing work. Really, I mean, I'm not just saying that. They do amazing work. We're excited about it. And uh, we're going to have Ethan and Brad on the show next month Woo. for a live stream um, sometime around the official release date of the next single. So you, We've talked about it, and we can't wait. It's going to be fun, man. I absolutely cannot wait. Uh, let's see, next sponsor. Oh, thenugnation.com. We record mm. the motherfucking podcast and we make a bunch of other cool shit over here at the Nug Nation Studios in the Rhino District of Denver, Colorado. Uh, I took all three of you guys on your first tours here. What do you think of, of the operation here? Super cool. Yeah. It's really awesome. Everything is so detailed, and just the work that went into building everything is really incredible here. Yeah, it's neat, man. Yeah, really cool. I'm excited. So, uh, yeah, you can go uh, to the NugNation.com, and you can check out any of the interviews Bong Burgundy did with famous rap stars such as Redman and Afro Man and Jaron Benton. Uh, stay tuned. We're doing one with Ritz here soon, which was a super fun interview. Uh, we've also got some of our series, which are hilarious. And, um, and we did a music video for Billy Ray Cyrus not that long ago. So check it all out at thenugnation.com. Let's see. Who did I forget sponsor-wise? Oh, and of course, last but most... You badass motherfuckers who back us via a small contribution on patreon.com slash mfruckus. You make the goddamn world go round. Keep the lights on. Keep the podcast going. Keep the, the comic book going, the motion comic. Uh, you, you're, you're helping us print a banner for the podcast right now, which is pretty cool. And uh, all the growth we've experienced over the last year would have been impossible without your support, man. So... Check it out. Go to patreon.com slash mfruckus. Have you guys ever done any crowd crowdfunding stuff at all? No, we've been um we we've we've been very broke of many, many times, but we've made it a point that I we, during the time when we were around, it was really big and everyone was doing it. So we're like like everyone right. was like, We're going acoustic. We're like, we're going rock, and everyone's like, We're doing this. Right. We're like, we're not doing that. So I don't know. It just never Well, and there seems to be and it, I a feel certain like it's level, great. there seems to be a certain level of, um, there seems to be a certain aversion towards uh, crowdfunding, especially for music now. Like, the, yeah, I think that it was overplayed really hard. There was a lot of there was a lot of stories of bands that abused it. Yeah, you know, and and there was a bit of a backlash a few years ago, and and. Specifically with Patreon, mm. I saw some backlash about that, but we just saw it as like I see it as such a a valuable 
asset to be and, able to. And it to, can be. It, it could be useful for anybody, right. really. It just comes down to all of a sudden you have money. It's like, how are you going to do? Are you going to really do what you're supposed to be doing? And I think that the things you were talking about, I heard a few bands were like, oh, we just threw a big party. It's like you didn't. Everyone asked you to threw a big party. Yeah, like someone. So there was a band I think had a Greeley. Maybe I'm mixing this up. Maybe Greeley or Four Cons, and they just they were asking for like a little bit of money just to kind of help get their record. I think um, pressed. And they just threw a big party. I think that one of them just used the money for something else. Dude, everything we've ever done with um, with crowdfunding has just gone like everything. Like, like it should. Like where it should. Right. Though, right. It, like we we have a pretty small budget, and it all goes to Evergroove. And Jake Fairley drawing our comic and Macy Little animating our comic and Alex Tyler doing the narration soundtracks and marketing. and It's all going to the places it, it's it It's all going to the places yeah, it's supposed and, to go. And creating art, you know, doing right. stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and I think now especially – and I wanted to ask you about this as well. Mm-hmm. So you guys – you guys did tour with Nashville Pussy before, correct? Yes. Yeah, we did. So I had Blaine on here recently, and it was a really fun episode. We had a great talk. And he told me in that episode that their budget worldwide had been cut by 70 to 80%. Oh, like, really? like when they did From Hell to <clears throat> Texas, they recorded that at Palomino Studios, right. which is Willie Nelson's Huge. studio. Huge. And they got to take forever to make it, and and there was so much production budget that went into it, and yeah. per DMs and meals and rooms and and everything else that comes with it. Right. And he said that the way the industry has changed, um, they, uh, that they they have to do records more like you know the the old punk rock way where you go in and you record an album in a week and that's really all that the budget allows. Yeah, 100, yeah. So what so I guess what I'm wanting to know is what is it like for because I I made the false assumption, the incorrect assumption that you guys were just on easy street Mowing. and had all these opportunities coming your way. We just make it seem like everything's going easy. Right. So tell me what the reality is as I, far as what you guys what you guys get in order to make a record. Like, how does doing right. a record and a tour look for In the Whale, realistically speaking? We've done everything independently from the very beginning. We've always... And uh, you continue to do it all independently. D- this year, we just got signed to a, uh Australian record label. But uh, I think that bands that we've toured with, like bigger bands that have been around for a long time, they were privy to having that money, that records could go and get you money. Like you have two months to go and sit in this studio and you can do this or whatever. You know, you recording had, advances. You had whatever. the time, you have the money. Now there's such a detriment between like what actually a record label can give you and practicality. We've never been privy to that. We've always had to do it the punk rock way where it's like we've saved up just barely enough to have two days at the studio. So do you guys just save up what you make on tour? Yeah, that's how we used to do it. We would just um we ran it like our band is a business. We were an LLC. We we formulated it very structured. All the money would go into like these little percentages of the pie, and then if there was enough allotted at the end, we would start to be able to pay ourselves. We haven't paid ourselves until like the last two years, and we've been around for right. since 2011. And you tour your asses off. Yeah, so a lot of and it, there's only two of you. Right, it's just going back into the machine. So we're putting so much more 
the highest paid member of our band is our van. Right. And <laughs> yeah, that's it, pretty common. Yeah, it's 427,000 miles on it. And it used to be one of the mortuary vehicles I would drive around Denver. So it's all kind of like small make it's like you learn how to do everything yourself up until the I mean the last 5 years we've had to pay someone to do our taxes because I it would take me a full week. I'm just so right, right. so stupid. I just it takes me forever. But anyway, it's like you learn how to Oh, we're just going to draw our poster ourselves. Oh, we're going to print that off ourselves. Oh, we're going to go and do our merch in house. We're going to find someone that can actually do it in their basement. And then you just kind of like right. cut corners. So you, yeah, we would just cut corners and just save as much money as we could. And then all of a sudden, then we would set up a time and like we have this many songs. This is what we're doing. It's kind of the reason we've only done EPs. Six songs, five songs, four songs. How long? Lo- how long does it take you guys? Well, now here's. So something that I'm I'm having trouble reconciling is when we toured pretty aggressively if we broke even that right. was that was a good tour. Right. You know what I mean? We weren't coming home with really much to uh much to invest in anything. You know, if anything going on tour was an was an expense. Right. It was a it was a vacation with a slightly reduced uh, you know, bottom line that we got to recoup some of the cost. Right. So, what was it that allowed you guys to come home with money that you could then invest into your real your your projects, into albums and whatnot? Right. There's only the overhead is real minimal for our business, which is just two human beings. Right. Um, that has a lot to do with saving money. Just two mouths of the feed. One hotel room with right. with two beds, or as what we like to do is we stay with friends, right? And we did that and have done that and still do that, right? We do. I mean, we do that too. So you possible. would, we would go. Oh, we can have a hotel room tonight, or we can save money and stay with our friends, right? And so we would just add that money back, right? Um, also, we would go and download apps on like cheap hotels after a certain point or gas. Tokens, you know, it's like, oh, it's cheaper now at these Conicos as opposed to this, you know, like whatever. So we would do very DIY. I mean, we used to have to only play like house parties and stuff because nobody wanted us, you know. So, but we, right. but we went out there anyway. Um, but now it's because we tour so aggressively and we, I don't know what it is, but we are able to sell a lot of merch. That's been our real. Well, you guys have a great act too. Like watching, oh, watching you. you. Well, watching you and Eric on stage, like it is, it is a bit of a curiosity. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The the two piece. It, very few bands pull off the two piece very well. Like Big Business is one of the bands that right. pulls it off really well. For sure, yeah. Death from Above is a great band. Yeah, yeah. There's, Royal Blood is another good. Royal one. Blood is great. Yeah, there's there's a handful of bands that pull off the two-piece thing really well, and you guys pull it off really well. Thank and, you. And, and so I think probably you get a lot of people who want to commemorate the experience of going to see that show. And yeah. they, they really want to sign up for your... Whatever it is, yeah. Yeah, your club. It's definitely an impulse buy. Like, if you can capture someone um, early out of the gate, you know, we were really aggressive at the beginning, half of our set... Um, and then it kind of mellows out and then gets real aggressive again at the end. It's much like everybody does. Right. But we make it a point to either like have a song where we're screaming at them in the very beginning. It just kind of like shocks people. Um, I don't know. There's just different ways of doing it. But we've been very lucky from the very beginning that people are just like, I want to go and buy a shirt. 
or I want to right. whatever. So we've really taken advantage of that and changing our designs. And a I'm lot. sure I'm sure you guys have seen this too. And this is this is something I told our label at the very beginning is we have a really high conversion rate. If you put us in front of enough people, you're going to do really well. We're going to do really well. Right. You know, the issue is when you're touring on your own mm-hmm. is getting in front of that many people. Right. You know what I mean? So what what do shows look like on average for you guys? Are you just trying to rack up as many numbers as you can with 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 doing the quantity of shows, getting right. your reps in? Or are you guys at the point now where you're starting to get a pretty consistent average? We have a pretty consistent average, um, I would say, anywhere from the low end of like, I don't know, 25 to the right. most of like 150. Uh, it just depends on the region. And it also depends on – so early on, we our very first real tour tour – was with Agent Orange. So we were in front of at least 200 and some people a night. Right. And because of the tenacity and the kind of the OG respect that goes with that band, we were kind of lumped into that. You automatically got some credit. You, so well, to speak. you got, you got, you got bona fide pretty early on. You yeah. got it, it. See, and this is something that, that I've, I've talked about on here before is doing, like, like Granny Tweed, yeah. you know, they did they did that Dead Milkmen show, and that was probably God. the biggest show that they've done, and that really legitimized them to a lot of people. For us, doing the Steel Panther gigs, um, doing Blue Oyster Cult, we did Blue Oyster Jeez, Cult this summer. That would have been so awesome, dude! Best merch sales oh. we've ever done. Where and was it at the Fillmore? No, uh, Blue Oyster Cult was in Grand Junction at Mesa. The, um, no, it was at uh, that stadium thing they have outside. Yeah, the uh, God, what do they call it? It's the Los Colonias Amphitheater. Yeah. yeah, but but they had to move the show back a day because there was an issue with BOC's flights, so they had to postpone the show a whole day. Oh my god! So we did end up doing a show at the Mesa, and the Mesa treats us great. You yeah, know, they're great. That's people. one of our best clubs outside of Denver. Is the Mesa? Yeah, we have the Vancouver uh, Rickshaw Theater. Uh, I, I could give you a whole list, but anyway, that's one of them. Yeah, and and what's, what's interesting is when we've done those bigger shows, partially because of the fact that just the volume of the audience is so big, mm-hmm. but part of doing those shows with those bands is it puts you in this the, – the, the audience sees you in a different way. Well, it's a heritage act. So it's an act that it's like we have such an established right. hardcore group. And that they gave their people gave the okay to have MF Ruckus. People are like, it's gonna be a good show, right? They, that's a generation that's going to like, we're gonna show up early and we're gonna see the whole thing, right? The people that go see Metallica, they were there way before the doors even opened because they want to see who Metallica is bringing with, right? Them. It's the same thing with this because so many bands, it's like. Oh, I saw Faith No More right before whatever. when they when they were on tour with Guns and Roses and Metallica back in right. back in the eighties. It kind of like got, what, what, one of uh, one of the guys who follows our band, you know, uh, our number one fan, this dude Joey, who made all the edibles that I've been giving out to the guys, and in some cases ruining episodes of the podcast, <laughs> like when I give Ruben from Bracheros cannabis ice cream, and and, <laughs> and he's laid out. Oh, and he's laid out. And falling asleep at band practice. Um, uh, 
Yeah, Joey was telling me a story about seeing Allison Chains on mm. on one of their first tours with like Metallica or something like that. Right. You know, he discovered us by going to a Steel Panther show and seeing the opening band. You know what I mean? There's something about people should do that. A lot of people don't want to anymore. People are just kind of lackadaisical. Right. It's like, oh, it's well, like, who well, else is playing? I we'll don't know. just drink in the parking lot until the until the headliner goes on. Right. I went to go see Guttermouth, and I have that mentality. I showed up way before the doors. I was just standing outside like a, like a goon because I go want to see the opening bands. Right. I want to know. I pay for the ticket or whatever, you know. It's like right. I, I want to go on the whole ride. I don't give me fifty percent. I I know what I came for, but well, and the opener is more accessible, right? Of course, the, and they're the, also the hungry. Yeah, the they, headliner is less likely to come out and meet anybody, right? You know, they are less likely to be at the merch table after the show, mm-hmm. whereas the opener is probably selling at a separate table from the headliner and everybody in the band is there right. and you know they they're engaging they want to know right. what they want to build they're hungry right like the hunger is something that's really attractive to me like when um we we get offered bands like from promoters and stuff they're like hey we want this band wants to play with you or, or I think they'd be a good for, fit with you and then you look at their socials and they're like they don't even care to post about any of their stuff it's like you're not hungry i mean i right. used to go to Every single show at the Gothic and flyer for our stuff, or every marquee show, or whatever. It's right. like, I don't understand why you don't even. It's kind of the whole thing with like, you know, like the sad movement of music where it's just like the guy can't even look at you guys, like the audience to engage. Like, are you even happy playing this song? Right, right, right. Why should I care if, if you, don't, you care. don't care? Or, or, you know, you'll see. I like that hunger, though. I, I didn't like local bands, like a band that comes up to me and goes, here's my CD, here's a sticker, I, what size of shirt are you? It's just like, well, and I like a, I'm going to go and look you up. Right. I, I like a, a service mentality, too. Mm. We've been on tour with, with other bands before where I have observed someone from another band bummed out by the fact that they're playing a small club in a small town and the turnout isn't great and mm-hmm. seeing it visibly affect their performance. Mm. We are very serious about the service aspect of performing. Same. And, and when we go do a show, mm-hmm. if you came to the show, we're going to give you a goddamn show. Sure. You know, we're going to entertain you and we're going at the very least to use it as an opportunity to have fun and, and, Tighten up, you know, our chops. One thousand percent. There are some days that we have. We played Ralston, Louisiana, this last tour. Right. They just got hit by a massive tornado. Right. Leveled the freaking city. It was just blown away. Right. Twelve, five, ten people. Twelve people showed up. Right. And it's hard. You're tired. You've just been whatever, and you're coming there. But they came to see you. Yep. They gave a shit enough that their city is falling apart. Their house may be leveled. They still came to see you. Yep. Why are you going to go and phone it in? We the value play. of their opportunity cost is way higher, too, because they're dealing with a— Real shit. Real like, shit. They have to go and get their water sump pumped out of their basement. They got to get a new radiator. They got to get whatever because their car got totaled. Yeah, they don't have time to go to a, a rock show. But yet they, but they still did. came. Yeah. Uh, we played to one guy, uh, we call him Kansas City Dave. He actually is our merch guy from time to time. We'll fly him out. But we played to him, one dude. The sound guy left. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, 
No way. Yeah. That's good. The sound guy left. What do you it, think of that? What do you think of that, Kotel? Do you want my real opinion? <laughs> yeah. I've been to shows where the sound guys walked out of the room. I think there's nothing more shameful in the entire world. Yeah, it's terribly shameful. Exist. I have a whole... We it's, were gonna, like, it's like setting down your guitar and walking off stage, man. Your only job as the sound guy in a live concert, <laughs> your only job, you have one job, it's to the band to make <laughs> the band know. sound good. To get up and leave right. is just pathetic. And I've it happens a lot. guys walk out of the room and come in before the last song with like a weed jar in their back pocket. It's like, really, dude? Yeah. Just smoke at the Just desk. smoke at the fucking desk, <laughs> man. You don't gotta like, and what? I don't know. It's terrible. Yeah, I, yeah. I have a, we have enough stories to write a full like 80 page chapter of just, just sound, guys. Sound, guys, sound guy stuff. Sound guy yeah, stuff. Dude. Like how, God, it, it feels like in a lot of the smaller clubs and like kind of the bar-esque that they're just there for the free drinks or to go and hit on the the waitress or whoever is or it's prestige right. in some way. I, it's like I I do sound at this club. It's right. like I'm the only person who knows how to program the VCR and use the stereo when equipment. In real life, so there are, there are kids coming out of college that would literally kill for that job. Oh yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, Some yeah, of them yeah. actually could do yeah. something like we were, they're passionate Who have great about ears and they're passionate about sound and they want to make bands sound good. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we've we've definitely been like, hey, can I the, the the mic's feeding back and the guy's like at the bar getting a shot and just like <laughs> it's like it's and everyone's like, like hey, can you try giving a fuck for a minute? Yeah. No. Can I get a little more fuck in my monitor, please? <laughs> I've gotten in fights with sound guys and I don't want to be that guy, but it's like well, and it can, we, we it can ruin how. your it can ruin your relationship with the club right. if you get into it with staff, even if the person on staff mm, is being derelict in their responsibility. You wouldn't believe how many people I've had to go and show how to run a uh, a, a board, or that like, no, we're going to put the the speakers behind you, uh, just because then the work is monitors too. I'm like, we don't need monitors at this point. I would rather not have feedback because my microphone is here, and that's just. Oh, you know, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. do you, do I have to explain? Like, I'll stop a set in the middle and I'll pick up the thing, these PVs on a stick or whatever the situation and move them. They're like, don't be touching my stuff. And I'm like, I want to do a good show. Yeah, yeah. I know that you think I haven't been doing this for the last, I don't know, since I was 15 years old and I'd look like I'm stupid. And I get that. I get that. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. There's been so many times where I'm just like, at the end, like these guys are like, guys or women or whoever is doing it. Uh, they're just so rude to us. And then after that, man, that was actually pretty good. I'm like, at this point, don't talk to me. Oh, now. because because dude, I have you, no don't respect. Don't you just love you. the actually pretty good? Yeah, actually, you guys are actually pretty good. Or this one for two guys, you're not too bad. For two, for twelve guys, we're, we're not, not too, too bad. bad. <laughs> Jeez, my favorite is like, wow, guys, you know, I actually, I really dug your stuff, and it's like, cool. So you didn't listen to us at all before tonight, right? 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 Yeah. Thanks. That that's also the thing that's the biggest. Like Eric and I are like, we have like things that just like make us happy and like someone's like oh yeah i read your stage plot i know you want to i'm like oh, <laughs> oh yeah doesn't my that feel heart, good oh my heart or when people are gave excited for you to be there oh my god thank you when you show that's one <laughs> thing i really love about the mesa which is where you which is where we met <coughs> we met where we met where we met at the at the mesa when we we, we who finally, are we playing with we, op- we supported you guys was it a good show it was a great show <laughs> i mean look it's that's a big room, yeah, and it's tough to fill it, dude. But I'll tell you what, you guys did as well as Doyle von Frankenstein. Wow, that we that we played with up there. 
The Dude, most we, we've ever pulled up there is like two hundred and like fifty. Yeah, I well, think that, most and, and two fifty looks empty Ugh. in that room. Yeah, it looks. You know, we and, just played there with Pennywise that it didn't sell out. Well, yeah, well, it's also it's I also it the Western like Slope, and it's five hundred people. You know, it's it, not a huge market. But the people who come are it's like, cool club. dude, and the people who come are so stoked. And they're like, we get people who come see us in the Mesa. They're like, I've seen you guys every time you've been in town. That's awesome. That's all, that, Those are the people, that, those are the ones that if you put forth the effort to make it there, right? they give forth the effort to give a shit and buy your stuff and keep you right. on the road. Those are the people that we're doing this for. Some of the, some of the best merch sales we've ever had oh, have, yeah. been, have been at the Mesa. And the staff, Hardcore. The staff is so accommodating Mm -hmm. and they're so friendly and they're so happy and grateful that you're there. Right. And how many years have you been playing there? You know what? We've only played, including the time we played with you, we've only played the Mesa four times. Okay. We played with Nashville Pussy several years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a different owner probably by then. Yeah, it was probably a different owner. They, they've, they've gone through three since we've been playing. It. They've been really putting a lot into it, and, yep. and the, the the owner's name is escaping me right now off the top of my right head. Right now? Yeah. Uh, it is. Jeez. Uh, I don't know the owner owner, but I know that um, – is it Rob that books everything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the main booking dude. He's rad. No, Rick. Excuse me. Yeah, Rick. Rick. Rick Christensen, yeah, the the Couldn't main booker it. dude there, but but the owner is just like all he wants to do is drink tequila and hang out and party with bands that play his club. That's cool, and it's fucking awesome, dude. Yeah. Like they're excited to have you there, and you know we talk. So there's the the there's the kind of sound guy that like wanders Rob's off and leaves you there, and you know the show where you're playing for one other person, the bartender and the sound guy. Mm. But then there's also the shows, and I'm, I'm sure you guys have had these too, where you're only playing for staff, nobody that doesn't work there, right. and the three people on staff, the door guy, the bartender, and the sound guy, end up being your biggest fans in that market or yeah. end up being your best friends. They buy shirts. They go. They wear them behind the bar. You, yeah, go, I know you, go, you go stay at their house when you're in town. You end up barbecuing with them when you come into town. You make real real connections with people. Right. Yeah, those are We definitely have those every, at least once or twice a, a tour still. Yeah. Even though like it's like, oh, you'll play great Texas market and then the next day is to nobody. Right. You play Be- Beaumont, Texas or someplace and it's like, oh, this is decent and then the next day it's like But you got to play every day. Little Rock, Arkansas, which apparently we just tank. We are just not good in Little Rock. See, but that's the that's the thing is you never know and even if it's five times. even uh-huh. if it's a market that you've been to a dozen times. Uh-huh. People grow up, they get older, and they move they away. Move away. Yeah. They become less socially engaged. Like, we yeah. used to do really well in the Pacific Northwest. Really? And we still have really good friends there, and we love to go up there and see them. But the last time we toured the Pacific Northwest, the turnouts were were difficult, and it was just a lot of our friends are just like, you know. I got kids. I got, I got kids. We're family people now. Right. You know, it's like, and or clubs closed down. Mm-hmm. There used to be a place in, um, in Bremerton, Washington called Winterland. Do you ever play Winterland in Bremerton? Washington? I've never played Bremerton, nor have I heard that word. Dude, Bre- Bremerton, Bremerton <laughs> is a small. How, where is it at? It's across the Puget Sound from uh, Seattle, so um, west of it. How far? Uh, I mean, it's it's a decent. I mean, it's a forty-five minute drive around the Sound, or a forty-five minute hour um, uh, ferry ride if you if you manage to catch the ferry really? before it closes. Right. And it's uh, it's mostly a naval community, 
Um, but there used to be this great punk rock club called Winterland that was better than any show we ever played in Seattle. Really? Like, it was always full. There was always a great crowd. Um, another place was um, the. It was this place called the Hideout in Johnson City, Tennessee, mm. and they used to get just. It didn't matter who was playing. It was bonkers. It was Good. bonkers, and you never know when that's going to change because people grow up and right. they move away, or some owner does something, or something is something happens. That's once again those things. It's like you don't know why you have all this pool. It's kind of like a band that doesn't know, understand why they're doing so well. Then right. all of a sudden they change something. It's like, that was it. And now no one comes. <laughs> no, no one cares. Yeah. No, we, uh, it's good to know yourself. Well, I mean, we, we've had friends who said they came to Denver for years mm-hmm. before they met the right people yeah. and ended up having a good show here. Right. I heard for years that Denver was kind of a desolate stop for a lot of people. It is. It's, I think it, it was, excuse me. Right. I think it's changed a lot now. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Um, I still think now more than ever it's harder to get people to go and give a crap about you because it's so easily accessible. It's like, oh, I checked them out. I didn't like that song, so I'm not going to go. Well, and there's so many things competing for your attention. Uh, Yeah. You know, how many bands are you going to go look up just because you see a flyer? God, you wouldn't believe I've been like I can probably count on just one hand how many people have like, oh, I just looked you up. Because no one told me. I just wanted to go to a show tonight. Right. It's like... It happens once in a while. Yeah, it's like very rare. For us, it is. It's like we don't run into that. We get once in a while where we will book something, and I'm sure this happens for you guys too. Once in a while, we will book something in a place that we've never been, but someone took upon it themselves to look us up. Right. and, And it's usually a club that just has... Good music culture built into the, their values as a business. Right. You know, you show up and everybody is excited to see you. Right. Oklahoma City was a big thing like that for us. Blue Note. So, it's, well, so it started out, we met. So, we, the, the, when we started really engaging with the Turbo Yugend a lot, um, when when uh, a few of us joined and, and started getting really involved in our chapter here, um, I was doing most of the booking, and I told our bass player, Logan, I was like, why don't you handle reaching out to Turbo Yugen chapters and finding us some stuff? Cool. And the one thing that he <clears throat> pulled out of all of it, probably the, 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 the biggest golden nugget that we got was we hooked up with the Turbo Yugen Scumlahoma guys out of Oklahoma City. And when we showed up that very first time, there was a party going on. We we were taken in and treated with warmth and love and respect and just had the most fun. And then the next day played a show. Mm. And the show the next day was, was bananas. It was bananas. Good. And like those people are now friends for life. And every time we go to Oklahoma City, it just seems as though no matter what club we play, the people who go there are excited for us to be there. They, you know, they, it, it is an event to go to. Cool. Like I really, I really miss, um, uh, I, I really miss playing at the Blue Note. It has been a little while since we played there. Um, just, just because we haven't been able to. Get I love down that there club. To, it's great. I love that club. Yeah. Do you guys do pretty well over there? In fact, uh, I think they were one of the places that we went to that they were like. Do you guys ever play within the whale? Right, right. Uh, we, um, 
we're starting to do better. We've we've neglected Oklahoma City because of a bad taste we got really early on. We have right. a thing with ban- uh, towns that have city in the name, like Salt Lake City. Won't play it. <laughs> yeah, I well. played it like twelve times. Will not. Won't do it. Right. Kansas City for the longest time wouldn't do it. Yeah. Not gonna do it. Oklahoma City. We just like Oklahoma shitty, Kansas shitty, Salt Lake shitty. We're not playing them. Yeah. We're not doing it. We just like go and make. Efforts to go everywhere but there. The only place we played in Oklahoma that we actually really, really love was Tulsa. Yeah, we struck out in Oklahoma for years and years. Really? For years. We, I mean, we, we played like a, a house in Norman, Oklahoma mm-hmm. once. So that's south of uh, – we've played Norman once, yeah, it, a little we, college town. We played in this like – it was almost like a hippie frat house, <laughs> and it was called Universe City. And it was like a like an artist commune there on the you know what is it University yeah. of Oklahoma whatever it is the little campus down there yeah yeah and it's actually a pretty big campus it, yeah no it was a giant campus but that was the only time we played there and and I mean we had fun but it was definitely like one of those ones that you just like when you're talking about touring you're like that one was kind of weird that was kind of a right good, you know it wasn't like we've got to get back there right and <laughs> we had a similar experience with the cities. You know, Salt Lake City, we used to go play Burt's and... Uh, Burt's was the only good show before we played, like, one of the last shows before it closed. Yeah. And that was it. We, ne- we never had a great show, even at even at Burt's. And, I mean, they were really nice people, and we had fun, sure. but we never had a great show there. Man. You know, or Bar we- Deluxe, same type of thing. You right. know, like, uh, there, there was there was a few times that we went out there and we just we just never had luck with it. Yeah, we and ate it every time. Yeah. We played with national bands and it's like... You ate it even with the nationals? Yeah, we're like, man, this is the, like, some of the bigger bands that, like, we would tour with, like, we're not even playing it. Like, we're just going to go around it. It's like this void in Salt Lake City where it's just like it's not important enough that the, the mainstream bands are. Like, you'll you'll see bands like Cage the Elephant or something like, oh, the arena, it's sold out. Okay. Right. Well, then you see Mets, you know, out of, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, where are they from? Seattle? And it's not, it's like 100 people. When it, like, they're selling out, like, 800, 900 cap. I mean, we maybe like, had, we, we would maybe max out at, like, 10 people at a Salt Lake City show. That's how I, like, maybe if we were lucky, same. Yeah. I just, I we it just never happened for us. And we, we... Did our due diligence and hooked up with good locals. And we have great friends there. Really? Like, great friends. People that we love immensely, but it's just like there's just nothing for us scene-wise. You know what I mean? We played this a new place every single time for the last five years. And it's just never happened. And I'm like, no, no. Burt's was good. Yeah, it's yeah. closed now. No, no, no. It's like Kansas. Well, Kansas City was always tough. You know, it was. We didn't, we didn't get hooked into the, 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 the scene. Yeah, it was really hard. Kansas City is where we played the one person. Yeah, you gotta you've gotta like know the right bands, and even if you know the right bands, it's like they're not necessarily drawing anybody in. Right. You know, I just don't know if there's the market for it. But Oklahoma and Oklahoma City for years and years and years and years, nothing. And then strike out, strike out, strike out. Well, but then I I really do think it was this this Turbo Yugend chapter started up, and it was all just. And also, a lot more people have been moving there. There, a lot more um, of the nightlife is opening up. Oh, cool! A couple friends of ours from the Turbo Yugend opened the Bunker Club and the Pump in Oklahoma City. So they're like, you know, they're becoming restaurateurs to a degree. You know, right. They're they're opening clubs and and 
people from this Turbo Yugen chapter all have their hands in the local venues. Right. It's like-minded people that are actually right. caring about that genre of music or rock and roll or whatever. It's important to them to have a scene. Right. You know, um, I mean, Red City Radio is from there. Right. You know, and I mean, they presumably do really well. The cons- what is where's the conservatory? Is that in Oklahoma City? Yeah, we played that, and it was was it not good? It was terrible. Really? Yeah, that was the reason we like there was nothing, no promotion, nothing. Dude, like, I could never even get them to return an email. They, yeah, well, maybe you passed. You know, maybe you. I just well, I just assumed that they weren't interested in in our band, and that's why they didn't book us. I was like, mm. oh man, the. The conservatory is the place to play in Oklahoma City, and they're just not interested. Oh well, you know. Yeah, kinda, but it was we that played. Random. It was we stopped playing because of that show, in Oklahoma City for years. Really? Yeah. Man, we're pro- we try and learn as quick as we can, and I know certain things are cir- circumstantial. But I was like, I'm never going to come. Well, this. and they're, I'm not going to play the city again. There are legitimately some places, man. I'm so glad the Blue Note's there now. Me too. I, I love hope it. it. Stays open for many oh, years. Oh my gosh, I love. I love those guys and girls that work that thing. Yeah, it's so fun. They take they, they take the best care of us, and because of that, like they are a priority to us. It is a priority for us to get down there. Anywhere else in the U.S., like we are at the point where we're not interested in going and rolling the dice on a DIY van tour, going to a bunch of places we've never been before. Right. It's just because that opportunity cost is there. You know what I mean? Right. So. Um, I guess with the last little bit of time that we have here, yeah. why don't you tell me a little bit about what you're working on, what's what's coming up next, you know, what you guys accomplished this year and what you're looking forward to accomplishing in 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 the coming new year. Yeah, uh this year has been it was a really rough rough year, um but it was also really good. So it, um it started out really slow, and we didn't really have a lot on the books or anything planned, per se. It was just kind of like, oh, we're just going to do the same thing, kind of like um, plateauing in a way. Right. Like, oh, we're just doing the same tour. Uh, did did two national tours and then got connected with this label that was really interested in what we were doing. Uh, signed with them just recently. Um, they're out of Australia. They're called Golden Robot Records, and they have bands like um, Skid Row, and they have bands with a guitar player from Thin Lizzy and what? King's X and stuff. So it's it's cool. Um, because you guys are going to get put on with the butt rockers, yeah, man. Yeah, I know. I can't wait. You're going to end up on the Monsters of Rock cruise. Dude, I can't <laughs> wait. Be- I can't wait. You know why? Because those people would actually care. About us. Oh, they give a dude. They give so, a fuck about music. Old school butt rockers. They I don't give a fuck about. I music. don't care what you call them or whatever. They're gonna go and they're gonna go and support us. So yeah, that yeah. they're gonna give us some bread, you know. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um. So we got hooked up with them. We haven't had an agent for a long time because we let them go quite a while ago. And I've been doing because we we, we tour so much. We had just connections with everybody. You're it's able. Like, you don't need someone to book your shows. Right for you. now, we're at a point where we could definitely use some help. Um, so we just recently got a new agent. We're really excited about that, and we're going to hopefully have a wonderful relationship from this point on. Cool. Yeah. So those are the those are the main things. We got two shows coming up. Halloween. I don't know when this is airing. Yeah, it'll air later this week. Okay. So yeah, we're we're playing on Thursday at uh, the Marquee Theater. It's cool. going to be a monster mosh kind of a thing. Fun. Cool. Costume contest, and then uh, we're playing with um, People Mover. Oh yeah, people movers cool, man. Yeah, dude. Uh, November second in Greeley. Are you guys doing any touring this year at all? That's it. Nothing That's, on the uh, books. Well, we already did the beginning of half of the year, and we're done. 
And then are well, you? Well, no, I mean in 2020. Oh, uh, 2020, yes. Uh, po- supposedly it's going to be really heavy, but as of right now, we only have January booked with our. We're going back to Dave Grohl's studio at 606 in LA, and we're going to record there again, and then wow, heading heading out as soon as we can. Cool, very yep. cool, man. That's it. Very very cool. Uh, so so a new so a new album then, like a new, a new album. full length. Not a full length, just an EP. EP. Yeah, that's all they want right now. Okay. That, that's all the label wants right now. And then I guess we'll, we're going to do something else for them later. Okay, cool. But yeah, that's the game plan now. So where where can people find you? Uh, you can find us on Instagram at in underscore the underscore whale because somebody had in the whale. Weird. That is not posting or doing anything <laughs> with it. They but just want to own it. They just have it, and that's fine. Uh it was somebody from the the, the old days when Years. you were coming into town. Yeah, they're yeah. like, I'm gonna Got take it. their Instagram handle. Got it. Yeah, they were they were on the front lines, man. Uh, Twitter is just in the whale. Facebook's just in the whale, and then uh, you can go or you can Google us. Yeah, it's just in the whale. just Google in the whale. Yeah, and that's it. All right, cool. Um, well. Thank you very much for coming on and talking Thank you. to me. Thank you for letting uh, me talk with you. Yeah, man. It's been nice to to just like get to know you outside of just a casual conversation. I, I would like to have you on again when we're doing a live stream. I want to hear more about the farm boy days. And oh, yeah. I, I want to hear more about cutting your teeth in the in the scene in Greeley. And, and all. Yeah. so I'd, I'd love to have you back on in 2020. There's some good stories there. Bit. Yeah, I'd love it. So um, Thanks for having so, me. So one thing that we do every week is we do the one for the homies shout out, mm. which is where we end the episode and we add it in in post. Um, just pick a song by a band that you're friends with or maybe not even friends with, just someone you think deserves a little extra love mm. and we'll tack it on to the end of the episode so people can listen to it while they're deciding what podcast to listen to next. Okay. Okay. So I can think of this for, for yeah, a second. Yeah, yeah. Okay. you can think of it for a second. Mm. Yeah. Just, just someone... Someone that you think the world needs to know about, like someone that you've played shows with, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. you know, you could even throw one of your own things on the end. No, that's kind of that's that's kind of silly. When it's like, come on, listen to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Let me think about this. Uh, geez, not really. Good maybe so, maybe someone that you're playing with coming up. Oh, People Mover. Yeah, you want to play something by yeah, People Mover? Let's play a song by People Mover. Okay. Dude, is there anything that jumps out at you or just any song by People Mover? I believe there's a song called Move. Move by People Mover. Okay, so we're going to tag that on to the end of the episode. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks so much to Nate for being here. Thanks to Ethan and Unky J for being here helping up. And uh, and, uh, Gordo, I hope you and the guys are having a great tour. Um, I know you had a good time in Chicago hanging out with Tony Lee, so mm. I, uh, I, I hope your tour goes well and you guys make lots of fun memories. Uh, this has been the Motherfucking Podcast, episode number 77. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. And make sure to go check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash mfruckus. We'll catch you guys next week. Bye-bye. Bye.
Motherfucking podcast is recorded at the Nug Nation Studios in Denver, Colorado, and hosted by Aaron Howell, Tony Lee, Logan O'Connor, and occasionally even Ty Blosser of the international power rock combo Motherfucking Ruckus. Our producer in the studio is Gordon Ledfoot. Our producers in Chicago are Gene Skibbins and Adam Zelinsky. All music except homie shoutouts and featured artists is written and performed by MF Ruckus and comes from the album The Front Lines of Good Times Volume 1, coming this fall on Rodeo Star Records. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, if you find this podcast valuable or entertaining and you wish to support MF Ruckus further, you can rate, review, share, subscribe, follow us on any of our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Spotify. If you really want to help us do what we do, you can go to patreon.com slash MF Ruckus and become a patron at any level. Our patrons get access to exclusive content, early releases, guest list spots, even VIP parties with beer and food, all in exchange for a small monthly contribution. It really does make a difference and allows us to do this podcast, make records, create videos, go on tour, fly Tony back and forth, and all the other stuff we love to do for you guys. Patreon.com slash MFRuckus. Check it out. Thanks again, guys. 
You're listening to a Mutiny Transmission. You can find more podcasts, videos, books, comics, and records online at mutinyinfocafe.com. Or just stop in the store in Denver and have a coffee sometime. 